aggression. Here we are. First episode. Ruthless recap. I've never started a podcast, so I don't know what I'm doing, but that's all right. I'm your host, Trent Devine. I am joined by my co-hosts, the Charlie Haas to my Shelton Benjamin, Damon Devine. Hey. And the doctor of thugonomics, Dean. Dean, how you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm glad that you acknowledge my PhD. PhD in thugonomics. Um, so here we are. This is the first episode of Ruthless Recap. And I know what you're thinking. What the hell is Ruthless Recap? And that's a valid question. Uh, on this podcast, we're going to be reviewing pretty much every WWE show from July 2002 to July of 2008, also known as the Ruthless Aggression Era. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're doing. And we're going to start with July 22nd, 2002, Monday Night Raw. Now guys, July of 2002, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to get immersed in the time period because I was a little baby at this point because I'm a young man. So I had to look it up. Do you guys have any guesses what the hit songs of July 2002 were? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, oh, damn. 2002. 2002. Was, uh, was Caesar's Karma an effect out in 2002? I have, I have no clue, but I can tell you that was not, a, not on the Billboard uh, 40 or whatever. Oh, on the 40? Yeah, probably I'm not. Talking, I'm talking the top song. Ooh. I'm talking the big dog songs. I don't Dang. know. I, I couldn't tell you, man. You're going to you're gonna have to spill it for us. All right. Right around this time, we have Without Me by Eminem. Okay. Oh, okay. Certified thug classic. Nelly's Hot in Her. Okay. How could you forget that? You know, I'm not going to lie. I thought that song was older than that, but Okay. I didn't know it was spelled with two R's. Yeah. He doesn't even say it that way in the song. That's kind of funny. And Avril Lavigne's Complicated. Okay. Wow, we are, we are real. Like, I mean, it's kind of funny because, like, I, I recognize all the songs you've named, but it's thinking, like, damn, this is, like, it's kind of surreal to go back, like, 18 years and see what was popular yeah. back then. It's crazy to think 2002 was 18 years ago. Yeah, that too. Shit, we're getting old. Uh, we got yeah. some. We got some uh, certified great movies in theaters around this time. Any guesses? And Damon, uh, I actually, you know, I stooged off and I told you one of them. I forgot. I didn't write it down because I found a more famous movie okay. that was in theaters at the time. But Powerpuff Girls, the movie, was in theaters at the time. Do you have? Do you guys have any guesses what other uh, great movies were in the theaters? Was like this the year? Was two thousand two the year the first X Men film came out? I think that was the year prior. Okay, that makes sense. X-Men sucks, so I don't... I don't Fair know. enough. I mean, it's one of those things where I I have a soft spot for it, but it hasn't aged well, especially when you compare it to things that have come out since then. Um, 2002. Because Shrek wasn't until, like... Shrek was 2001. Yeah. I, see, I keep guessing 2001 movies. Um, That's the thing. 2001 sticks out way more in my head than two. I think where was I in 2000? I was in second grade in 2002. I think Holes came out that year, didn't it? I think it did. I don't know when in 2002 because I don't have it written, 
but I'm pretty sure Holes did come out around that time. And the only reason I remember that is because I remember in second grade, I was writing like a paper about Holes for one reason or another. Writing a paper about Holes. Hell yes. All right. So the movies in theaters around that time, we had Men in Black 2. Okay. Probably the worst MIB movie, honestly. I couldn't tell you. I think I've only really ever seen the first one and it's like, it's okay. Well, actually, I'll admit, I never saw International, but International just didn't. Oh, my parents went out of their way to watch that fucking movie. And even they said it sucked. Yeah, they said that shit was not good. Um, Stuart Little, too. Oh, God. Stuart Little. Michael J. Fox's greatest hit, I say, with a Back to the Future poster in the background. Damn. And Halloween Resurrection. Is that the one where it's like a reality show? No, you're thinking Nightmare on Elm Street, I think. Wait, really? I think. I haven't watched all the Halloweens, but I know there's like a, like, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here? Mockumentary style to one of those. Yeah, and isn't, there's some rapper in it. I don't know. I've only seen bits and pieces. I don't know. Terrible movies in theaters, but that's okay. Here we are, July 22nd, 2002. We're kicking it off with one of my favorite WWE signatures, the one with the with the multiple TVs and the spinning globe and stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then um and then I don't remember this at all, but there's a picture of Eric Bischoff at the very end of the signature. Maybe that was just to hype him up cuz like that was his first night, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this was his first official night as GM. Uh, which really plays into the show a lot, uh, both Raw and SmackDown this week. Oh, wow. So he must have switched his song quickly because I know he's, he first came out when he was announced. So he came out in, uh, with Back in Black, but it sounds okay. like he had his normal theme song on the night we watched. I am glad you mentioned that because I was actually going to ask you that trivia question. Yes, uh, he first debuted uh, to ACDC's Back in Black. Um which is actually dubbed over because WWE is not going to pay for that uh, yeah, on the enough. network. And I actually didn't know that until recently that uh, he actually came out to Back in Black because I've only ever seen the clip where he comes out with his I'm Back song, mm-hmm. which uh, is a top 10 theme song. Can we all agree? Oh, oh definitely. Absolutely. Love that song so much. It's perfect. Speaking of top 10 songs, Across the Nation is the most hype song I've ever heard in my life. If you hear Across the Nation, don't get pumped for Raw, I, there's something wrong with you. It legitimately, in my opinion, is the best theme song WWE's ever had for any show they've done, ever. Wow, yeah. Ooh, that's, a, that's, a strong, that's a strong opinion. I don't think I could even fight you on it. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Like, it's just the best. It's so good. So we kick off uh, with all that. Best Raw intro. We get the huge pyro, the Dudley pyro that, like, shoots near the stage big pyro the crowd is hype as hell there's a million signs in the crowd wrestling was way more popular back then uh than it is now which i mean obviously this current time period it's not fair to judge that but you know even a few months ago not even the same yeah and plus we're like like we're not we're only two years removed from like 2000 
which like for WWE was like one of their greatest years. So yeah, yeah. this is like, we're not quite on the down, the, the steep downward trajectory quite yet. Nah, give that, give that like 2004. Um, so, mm-hmm. so uh, JR, he was running down. We got new champs from last night of vengeance. Rock won the undisputed title. Lance Storm and Christian, uh, the Un-Americans won the tag titles. Uh, and out comes Eric Bischoff. So obviously I'm back and I mentioned, I was going to ask Dean, the question if he knew that the song was back in black at first, and he does. Uh, when when Bischoff's coming out, JR mentions that this is the first night commentary was moved from their typical right near the ring uh, to the stage, which is a little reference to WCW. Uh, Eric Bischoff, obviously former, uh, formerly ran that company into the ground, and uh, a little reference to that. How do you guys feel about that? Uh, them being positioned there. Do you really care? I honestly don't care, if I'm perfectly honest. I'm ambivalent. I think the only, like, downside is that it makes it harder to, like, send somebody through the announce table, but honestly, that kind of comes That's down true. to how much you care about that. Dean, you bring up a good point, but I, I don't know. I think it looks cooler when it's right by the stage. It's kind of honest, cool. Honestly, I do, too. I think it, plus in a lot of ways, like, and don't get me wrong, like, it doesn't actually matter what I'm about to say, but it's one of those things also where I'm like, yeah, and also, if you really were a commentator commentating a wrestling match, you're going to be way safer next to the stage than you are, like, right next to the fight going on. That is true. That is very true. Um, I remember there was a rumor that the reason they moved it uh, – was because JR kept asking fans in the crowd to go get him food. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about that. I did not hear about that. There's no way that's true, but just the the idea of JR handing someone five bucks and telling him to go get nachos is the funniest thing to me. It is, it is. And honestly, though, if that really was true, we would have heard JR eating in that microphone. Like... Oh, there's yeah. no, there's no way, because like it's it's a headset mic, so there's no way you, he would have maybe been able that's to why hide his voice chewing. is like that. It's, oh it's not the uh, stroke or cerebral palsy or whatever. Bell's palsy. No. Bell's palsy. I I knew I was off. We're off to a good start when one of the first jokes on a new podcast is me making fun of a man's Bell's palsy. Um, this this is the content you can expect. This is the great content you can expect here on Ruthless Recap. Don't worry, it'll all go downhill from here. Yeah, it doesn't get better from here. Everybody strap in. Um, so uh, Bischoff comes out, and uh, he's announcing The Rock is here tonight, which gets a huge pop. Rock, obviously more over now, but super over in wrestling. Um, and Bischoff brings out Triple H, which did you guys notice the outfit he's wearing? Yes, the all denim. The all denim, the outfit he wore when he returned earlier in the year in MSG to a ridiculous pop from the crowd yeah yeah honestly like visually he reminded me more of like a triple h during that era when he was using like the my time theme song like oh, visual, my time's the top 10 theme bro yeah that theme is so good though um, i i will say this about that 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 combo though when i first saw triple h walking out the first thing i thought was like geez he looks gigantic right now but he looks oh, which is crazy because he looks more gigantic in 2020 Oh, he does, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, you know, completely natural. Uh, actually, speaking of that, actually, um, one thing I'll also say is that honestly, his face doesn't even look that different compared to what it looks like now. Yeah, it's weird seeing how some people have like not aged at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I wrote that down. Uh, 
obviously we're jumping the gun a little bit here, but uh, Christian, when he's on the show on SmackDown, he has not aged a minute mm-hmm. in 18 years other than cutting his hair. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so we get a big pop for uh, Triple H doing his water spit. Um, and Bischoff, you know, he's talking about how Triple H, he's going to bring that ruthless aggression uh, to the WWE and to Monday Night Raw. He signed Triple H to Monday Night Raw last night at Vengeance uh, away from Stephanie. Um, and, you know, Bischoff, he's talking about how uh, he's going to bring out someone big. He, he's got he's got big plans for Triple H. And Triple H, he cuts him off and he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to bring out my best friend, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. My favorite wrestler of all time. HBK, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Uh, he comes out. They uh, they do a big hug. Um, and this one I noticed, Eric Bischoff, and during this segment, keeps saying, I, Eric Bischoff, blah, 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 blah. I'm guessing just so people can remember his name. Because WWE fans, if they didn't watch WCW, they don't know who he is. Yeah, that's actually part of my notes here, is how he keeps saying that repeatedly. Like, And I actually wrote one of them down where he says... Uh, well, when he's talking to Sean about like how he doesn't have as much of a stroke around here anymore, which in the context of Sean Michaels saying something about a stroke is kind of suspicious to me. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not like basically like I'm not Vince McMahon. I'm not going to let you pull, push me around. I'm yeah, I, I took I took note of that. He said, you're not going to push me around like you push Vince around. Obviously, uh, Sean was very notorious back in the 90s for being very difficult to work with um, due to his own personal demons. Uh, which luckily at this point in 2002, he'd overcome. Uh, he'd beat his drug addiction, uh, and he had found God. Um, you know, is what it is. I'm not no comment. If that if that's what made him turn his life around, good for him. Um, Bischoff he says that Shawn Michaels will be Triple H's manager, which the crowd booed. Uh, not heavy, but uh, there was some booing, uh, very pretty audibly. Um, when when Shawn takes the mic. There is this one woman in the crowd screaming for Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. There's a reason this man is the heartbreak kid. He's sending chills up and down their spines. Um, uh, HBK says he's not going to listen to Bischoff. Um, and uh, Bischoff says that he gets his way because he's Eric Bischoff, uh, which spawns some asshole chants. But you don't get that too much anymore. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I, I remember... Uh, I was very young. It's like 2004, 2005. We went to a live event. Um, and I vividly remember it was Chris Jericho versus Christian. And I don't know why, but Jonathan Coachman grabbed the mic and started leading the crowd in an asshole chant. I've been to wrestling shows since, and I've never heard someone grab a mic during the match and start leading the crowd in a chant. I wish I remembered that specific instance because I know what you're talking about. I was there. I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember that was weird. I feel like it. I feel like that wouldn't fly today. Which I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't know if it was planned or not, but like I feel like yeah. Vince would never let something like that happen now. No, he fired Brad Maddox for saying "prick" in a dark match. It didn't even air. <sighs> which was so God. dumb because I love Brad Maddox, and after seeing those really cool videos he made, I love him even more. Anyway, great cinematographer. <laughs> yeah. Great, great uh, POV shots. So, uh, HBK, uh, he says, uh, if you know me, you know that And when it's between your way and the highway, I'm taking the highway. So, he leaves. He's mad at Bischoff. 
Um, and that's when Bischoff, he's, he's kind of, you know, on purpose, he, he's starting to create a rift. He says, listen, if you guys are so tight together, Hunter, you need to go talk to your homeboy, get this figured out. Um, so Triple H leaves. Bischoff, kind of out of nowhere, just says, oh, yeah, we're also going to uh, get rid of the European title tonight. Yeah, that was weird. So he decides he's going to unify the Intercontinental and European title in a ladder match, which uh, is going to be the next matchup. But we, uh, before we get to that, we cut backstage. Uh, Sean and Hunter are arguing about, you know, should they listen to Bischoff? Should he be Triple H's manager? Sean, he makes a comment of, you know, I'm not going to go just walk around carry your bags. And Triple H says a line that I threw me so off guard. I think I know what you're getting at. He says, "Come on, don't take your don't take your ball and go home like Stone Cold did." And I forgot this was during the time period, very famous story, uh, where Stone Cold, uh, one of the biggest, the biggest actor in professional wrestling of all time, arguably, mm-hmm. he was asked to put over Brock Lesnar on an episode of Raw for a King of the Ring qualifier. And he had no problem putting over Brock. He had the problem doing it on a random episode of Raw with no build. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead of trying to, well, I think he did try to argue it and they, they weren't going to budge. He walked, he went home. Uh, and Vince held a lot of resentment over that for months. And uh, like, I, I know like the night it happened, Rock cut a promo saying Austin took his ball and went home. Very petty. Uh, which I think is kind of a theme for WWE, being very petty. Always. Uh, now, actually, I found it interesting because I feel like, like in like in contrast to when CM Punk walked out, I kind of they didn't of, mention it. They didn't mention it. Yeah, for they, a while. they did. They did not mention CM Punk until they absolutely had to because they went to Chicago. Yes, they went to Chicago and they had Heyman come out to his music. Yeah, and then cut a promo about Brock. You know, Brock's gonna beat the streak. Um, so, uh, first match. Of the night, Jeff Hardy going to take on RVD unification ladder match uh, between RVD's Intercontinental title and Jeff Hardy's European title. Uh, before we get to the match, I just wanted to run down the European title. Uh, European title introduced in 1997 on an episode of Raw. Uh, it was a match between British Bulldog and Owen Hart in a tournament finals uh, where British Bulldog won. And uh, fun fact, it was a Raw filmed in Germany. And it was actually just a house show that they uh, taped and showed as Raw. And Jim Cornette said, to this day, it is the lowest rated Raw episode of all time. Really? He said, yep. He said it did the worst ratings. He said it looked like garbage, had terrible lighting, uh, had like two cameras set up. I take it a lot of people probably tuned in and then changed the channel. Listen, I've seen footage from it. I would too. It looked bad. Mm -hmm. Like they had like one spotlight on the ring. Yeah, just the description sounds piss poor. Even for 97. Yeah. Well, for 97, that was probably one of the lowest years for WWE. They almost went bankrupt uh, around that time because WCW was just kicking their ass every week. Oh, that's true. From there on out, uh, it was always pretty much just a mid-card title, uh, like the Intercontinental title, like the Hardcore title to an extent. Uh, it was actually deactivated for a few months in 1999. Uh, Shane McMahon won it, and he said, I want to be the undefeated champion, so I'm just not going to defend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets brought back, and from there, just a mid-card title. Uh, pretty much, you know, the U.S. title today. Uh, who wants to go over this match? Okay. Uh, 
So I I do have some notable notes that I could uh I could I could talk about. So first thing I wrote down was uh like oh geez this is like Jeff's like second ladder match in only a couple week period. Oh yeah, because he he had that great ladder match with a Taker on an episode of Raw for the undisputed yeah. title. Which once again I'm just like Jeff Hardy like I'm worried that he's gonna kill himself one day or even if he doesn't kill himself he's oh just my gonna God, like... he almost does in this match we'll get to yeah. that oh yeah um, uh, during the entrances. Uh, I wanted to point out Jeff Hardy was the coolest looking man on planet earth at this time. He had that awesome, like black light paint. So when mm-hmm. he's like in the entrance way, there's a black light shine down and it's the only time you see the paint on him. Oh my God. Looks so cool. Uh, lots of just ladder spots, baseball slides with the ladder. RVD went for a pin early on. I thought that was funny. Yeah. The, like he does one move and immediately goes for a pin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this match, to me, at least in the beginning, was surprisingly, like, awkward. A little sloppy. Mm-hmm. Which I've watched this match a million times, and I never really noticed. Yeah, in fairness, though, your pro- being in analysis mode probably change your, changes your perspective. Yeah, uh, definitely. Hit its stride later on, and they, like, found a good flow. Definitely. They did, uh, they had some great spots, um... Instead of doing a rolling thunder at first, RVD does this um, cartwheel moonsault onto Jeff on a ladder. Yeah, I didn't know what to call that. Oh, my God. There's so many times, usually the uh, more high-flying moves, I'm like, what the hell do I even write down? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with Rey Mysterio's match we'll get to uh, yeah. on SmackDown. Um, a lot of RVD chants. There's a big sunset flip powerbomb uh, RVD does to Jeff at one point. Yeah, that's like right before the frog splash. Yeah, it's uh, building up to that. We get a rolling thunder on uh, by uh, RVD onto Jeff that's on top of a ladder that looks great. Um, and it's at this point, they both get up on separate ladders and they're, uh, they're both trying to reach for the title, which is just the Intercontinental title hanging up there. Yeah. They said, mm-hmm. fuck that European title. We're getting rid of that. Jeff didn't <laughs> even come out with it. That is a shame. They're, but, yeah. they're both on separate ladders and they're punching each other and rvd kicks the ladder and it tips over and jeff is sitting on top of the ladder and he flips off the ladder and damn near lands ribs first on the foot of the ladder i thought he's gonna die uh that's a standard jeff hardy match though i mean it's it's i'm not that's a true. jeff hardy match if he doesn't almost die yeah if jeff hardy isn't gonna break his neck in a match i'm watching and I'll say this, as weird as my sound, I actually look like rewatching it. I thought to myself, I almost feel like if he didn't do that flip, it might have ended worse. Like only because like the way he flipped, he kind of like grazed the ladder on his way down. Like I think on like on like his shoulder or something. Yeah, it was like his shoulder rib area. Yeah, but like then I almost feel like if he didn't flip, he might have just landed directly on top of the ladder in an even worse way. That's possible. Uh still terrifying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Even though I've seen this match a million times, it's still terrifying every time. Yeah, there are a lot of really stiff bumps in this in this match. Oh, my God. On an episode of Raw, too, with a match that had no hype, Bischoff just announced it five minutes ago. Yeah, and uh, even like even um, uh, earlier in the match when Rob Van Dam does like that drop kick to the ladder while Jet, like the baseball slide drop oh, kick. Oh, yeah. Like that looked like it legit could have concussed Jeff. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh the best five star you can do off of rickety ladder. Uh, just pretty much just a big splash. It still look cool. Um, 
and then he after that frog splash he gets up and then just grabs the title which i thought was a little anticlimactic mm-hmm. uh but i feel like every ladder match ending not every uh, every one of them but most of them are kind of anticlimactic yeah it's it especially when it's a ladder match between only two people yes yeah it's kind of harder to not have the ending be a little anticlimactic that's the trick i mean like 99 percent of the time it's like i'm gonna incapacitate my opponent but then i'm gonna take forever to climb the ladder yeah see ziggler he doesn't fuck around with it that man i've never seen a man sprint a ladder like that that's Mm. true you can shit on him all you want at least well he knows how to climb a ladder he knows how to climb a ladder yeah um there's actually there's two things i want to talk about real quick um one you mentioned the Ricky ladders. Is it just me or the ladders just seem shittier back then? Um, like they felt like they were wobbling more than like I'm used to seeing now. I think those ladders were like legit. Go to Home Depot and buy a ladder. A ladder. Okay. I think nowadays they're like I'm pretty sure nowadays they're specially made, like by okay. WWE. Yeah. Um. So they yeah, just looked uh, super unsafe as they were climbing up there because it looked like it was like ready to fall even when they weren't even doing anything. Right. Um, all in all, I thought it was a fun match. A lot shorter than I remember, which is really a theme for almost every single match we're going to talk about. Um, much shorter than I remember. Um, and at the end, RVD helps Jeff up and raises his hand, uh, show of respect as they're both baby faces, both good guys. I thought that was nice. Like, he didn't have to do that. I know, like you said, they're both baby faces, but right, they did just beat the shit out of each other, too. Right. I think also, like, he got some sympathy points because, like, as the match ended, the ladder fell on top of Jeff. Yeah, it did. And Jeff no-sold it. He didn't even move. Yep, yep. Um, so after that, we uh, cut to commercial, uh, which obviously on the WWE Network, it just cuts to black and comes right back, um, where we get <laughs> we get Harvard graduate and Tough Enough Season 1 alumni, Christopher Nowinski. I, I told Damon this. Dean, did you think he looked like anybody? Because he looked and even sort of sounded like somebody. And it I'm not going to lie. When I first saw him, I was like, he kind of looks like a young John Moxley. As weird as that sounds. Not where I was going. I, um, I, 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 get the, I had a feeling you were going to say that. But like when I first saw him, I thought like, like CZW John Moxley. Not, like, not in like his attire. It's like his face more so. See, I agree more with what Trent had told me, but I kind of yeah, see. I, uh, kind of on the AEW thread, I thought he looked like uh, Jack Swagger, Jake Hager. Oh, you know, I could see that too. I could. And he had a little bit of the same voice, uh, minus uh, the lisp. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he comes out uh, and he just cuts the typical promo that I think he always cut, which was, you guys should be grateful that someone as smart as me, a Harvard graduate, is speaking to you and is in front of you, and he gets un- interrupted by Biker Undertaker, big motherfucking evil. He comes out with a motorcycle, and I for a sec I was expect I almost wrote top ten theme, but it's it's not exactly there yet. It doesn't have oh, the lyrics just, like, yet. It was still the instrumental version, wasn't it? It was the instrumental version. Trust me, when we get uh, uh, you're gonna pay with the lyrics, top ten theme. But we're not there yet. Um, so uh, Taker comes out and he's very uh, frustrated in general because he last night he lost his undisputed title in a uh, three-way with Kurt Angle and The Rock. 
uh, The Rock is now champion, as mentioned. I think I mentioned it earlier. Uh, he's undisputed champion now. Um, so Nowinski uh, gives Taker the mic, and they shake hands. And as they shake hands, Nowinski's trying to pull his hand back, but Taker's not letting go. And we get a gigantic last ride powerbomb by Undertaker to Nowinski. I was going to say, I made note of that. Like, he laid that shit in. He got up there. Oh, yeah. Like, and actually, one thing I wrote down was, like, I was – well, for one thing, when they were sitting next to each other, I didn't realize that Chris Nowinski was that tall. I, like, I was surprised that he was so close to Taker in height. But then I also wrote down, like, man, Undertaker's moving, like, way faster than I'm used to seeing him. Oh, my God. I mean, 18 years ago, he was still in his 30s at this point. Yeah, I guess. But even, like, when he was still having, like, those great matches when he became the dead man again – like, I feel like he started to slow down, not even just because of age, but maybe even just partially due to the gimmick. But that's I was going to say the gimmick it. is probably a part of it. Also, um, you know, a couple a couple years down the road as a dead man, so yeah, you know, two years yeah. is kind of long in wrestling. Uh, after this, we cut uh, backstage where Bischoff is talking to Rhino. Um, and behind him, I noticed this. Uh, you, you see the former meet, Sean Stasiak, and D'Lo Brown, uh, they're kind of just like pacing back there. And I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, I thought it was a little weird they were in their gear, and we'll get to that. Uh, so Bischoff, uh, he's trying to recruit uh, Rhino, who was injured at the time. And I looked it up. Uh, November of 2001, uh, Rhino got a cervical fusion of two uh, herniated vertebrae, his Ugh. neck. So hell of an injury. He, uh, he's not back until like 2003. Probably for the best, honestly. That's a pretty bad injury. Yeah, I mean, you look at him now, it kind of the Kurt Angle thing, like he has no neck anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's, he really, uh, really he got messed up on that. Um, so he kind of, he's trying to recruit Rhino and Rhino seems uh, to be with him. Um, and then Stasiak uh, and D'Lo, they come up to Bischoff and they both are arguing that they, they want a shot on Raw. They want a match. And oh my God, I don't think I've ever marked out more in my life when Bischoff says, listen guys, we got a three-minute gap in the show. When he said, "When he said three minute, I about shit my pants because I knew what was going to come later. Let's not say it yet. Yeah, but I knew yeah, what was yeah. coming, and I was the most pumped in my life. Uh, and Bischoff kind of, uh, after he says, "You know, you got th- you guys, uh, you got three-minute exhibition later," and he says, "So help me God, you better entertain me, or mm-hmm. else." I was like, "Oh my God." I was so pumped. I thought that was great, especially because it wasn't like, yeah, you'll get a shot on Raw, just don't bore me. That was like the whole thing. He, I don't think he ever explicitly said, you get you get a shot on Raw if you entertain me. It's just entertain me. Well, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. He said, you guys have a shot on Raw. You better entertain me. Mm-hmm. This is your opportunity. You better not fuck this up. Uh, our next match coming up is uh, Trish and Bubba Ray Dudley. Trish Stratus and Bubba Ray Dudley taking on women's champion Molly Holly and William Regal in an intergender tag, not a mixed tag, which I was confused at first. So Trish comes out to a really lame theme. It's not her awesome theme that opens up with the with the laugh. Right. Yeah, that was actually the first thing I wrote down about this match was I noticed Trish's theme was like, I was like, whoa, what's this? Yeah, it sucked. It was not, yeah. not nearly as good as her current theme. Not even um, close. So uh, also this is... Uh, the beginning of uh, a lot of uh, I don't inappropriate sexual stuff that happened around this time. I don't know 
sexual deviance. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but obviously uh, King, you know, he says the classic puppies line. He says puppies are here. Uh, yeah. Who wants to run down this match? Because this match sucked, and I don't want to talk about it. Oh, wow. Damn. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Were you entertained by this match, Dean? I will say this. Um, I, okay. Well, actually, you know, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to go straight to the finish. Only because I feel like the way... I think that's kind of how they booked it, too. Let's yes. go straight to the finish. <laughs> but the thing is, like, the way the camera was positioned, like, it wasn't entirely clear, I think, for a home audience what even happened. Because you you don't even really get a good shot of Bubba Ray wa- running away, and it's like, wait, what the hell is he doing? And it's like, wait, you're not... Why, why didn't you stick around to help? You're going to chase her down when you guys almost have the match won? Like, okay, see, now, that, now that's something... Um. I'll kind of run down the match real quick. It's not much of a match. It was like five minutes at that. Mm. Um, it starts with uh, Bubba and Regal. Uh, Bubba is selling an arm injury from a tables match he had last night at Vengeance. It was um, Benoit and Eddie Guerrero against Spike Dudley and Bubba Ray Dudley, a tag team tables match. He's selling an arm injury from that. Um, Bubba, he starts beating up on Regal. Uh, in a nice little heel moment, Regal, uh, being cowardly, he crawls and hugs Molly's legs. Uh, and Molly tags in, and she wants to wrestle Bubba. Uh, she she puts her hand up for the test of strength. And uh, Bubba is switching the hands, and he starts doing the whitest dance I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was hilarious, and though. It was funny. It, you know, I think he had a dancing gimmick at one point, like right around this time, because they didn't know what the hell to do with Bubba and Devon when they got split. You know, speaking of his gimmick, actually, um, not that it really had any bearing on the match, but like when he came out still wearing the glasses, I was actually caught off guard because I thought by this point he had taken them off. I didn't even notice or make a note of his glasses. I didn't, I cared so little. I only bring it up because like I associate the glasses with like the slightly sillier attire and seeing him like the tie dye and the stuttering when they first came in. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like the camo stuff, but like, here yeah. he's wearing like straight up street clothes, and it just doesn't feel like the the glasses fit the get the, the look anymore. That's fair. Um, so Molly Molly wants to wrestle Bubba. Bubba's not taking it seriously, and then he just smacks Molly on the ass. Um, yeah, you know I might not have been bothered by that if it was somebody else, and I say that because like Molly Holly's actually a really good wrestler. I don't like seeing her being treated that way. I agree with you, Dean. But like, part of me, I was surprised because, like, it's Bubba and Molly. I don't know. I just, I wouldn't expect him to treat her that way or her to be treated that way, you know? Mm-hmm. This was also 2002. And as I was say, times were different. This was a time where women's wrestling was not taken seriously in the slightest, at least in the US. And also, um, if I, I could be wrong, but I think, like, with the way that uh, uh, King was talking, I get the impression this is, like, during, like, the phase where they couldn't stop talking about Molly's ass being big. Okay, yeah, I vaguely remember that. And, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I guess I find it really weird because I'm, like, she's not even, like, noticeably larger than anybody else. Like, WWE around this time had, if you, listen, if you were two pounds overweight as a woman, you were going to get called fat by every single rival you had. 
Yeah, and unfortunately that carried over into Mickey James too. As I say, the whole piggy James thing, just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's like it, it kind of kills me because I look at it and I'm like, um, her stomach's flat. Uh, she looks fine to me, but it's like the Hollywood fat thing. It's like she's fat. She's Hollywood fat. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I guess I didn't make note of this, but somehow Trish and Regal both get in the ring. Uh, and I I did like at first, even heel Regal is too much of a, a British gentleman to strike her. He does not do the face wash thing. Uh, and at first he's only doing like grapples to her. Uh, he does like this really cool, uh, like grabs her by the wrist and then uh, gets her head like a inverted, like a weird modified snapmare thing that looked really cool. Mm-hmm. A big regal sucks chance. Uh, they try to double team on Trish. Uh, Molly accidentally drop kicks, uh, uh, accidentally drop kicks regal, which allows Trish to get a tag. Uh, Bubba comes in, he starts cleaning house on regal. And then him and Trish do the big WhatsApp uh, headbutt. Oh yeah, that yeah, yeah. Bubba and Devon used to do. Yeah, headshot to um, the grapefruits. Yeah, the uh, I think technically it's supposed to be like a headbutt to the tailbone. Uh, I think I broke my tailbone. Um, it's one of those things in wrestling. It's like shattered dreams where you're just like, eh, it's a DQ. I don't I, like. I just like is like how legal is this? Right. Um. So. In uh, Bubba, you know, he's getting too into the moment. He goes to do the, the, the classic, you know, he smacks Devon on the chest. You know, Devon, get the tables. But he goes to smack Trish, and he realizes that uh, she's built a little differently. Mm-hmm. So he knows smarter than that. Uh, plus, he doesn't want to boss a woman around, so he goes to get the table. Well, I thought that this was is, funny, though. Because, it's funny. I'm not saying there's a problem with that. Well, no. My point is, though, is that, like, he had no problem sm- smacking Molly Holly on the ass, but if he was gonna—I didn't even think of that. But if he was gonna touch on Trish's titties, nope, can't do that. He couldn't do that. Huh. Too much of a gentleman on on that front, apparently. Yeah. Well, um, Molly's a heel, so it's okay. Yeah, that that's yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is when things, Dean. This is where you were kind of talking. Um, did I agree with? Because commentary made note of it, but I didn't see it. Maybe it's because I was writing notes, but I don't. I don't think it. You can just barely make off Bubba running away, but the way the camera angle is positioned, it's like, okay, I assume he's chasing after Molly, but it still seemed really awkward and like a really forced way for them to lose. Here's the thing Bubba goes to get a table, and I swear to God, during him getting under the ring to get the table, Regal puts the Regal stretch on Trish and she taps, and the heels win. Yeah. Yeah. King or JR, one of them says that Bubba was chasing Molly. I did not see that. You can just see that's the thing. Even when you get a shot of it, like it's like far in the background. Like you can just kind of see Bubba starting to turn around after he gives up chasing Molly. Yeah, I caught the tail end of that, but that's like all you see is the very last bit of him going to get her. Also, I'm not going to lie. There was a point in the match where I lost track of who was even legal. So when Regal locked in the stretch, I was like, oh, so him and Trish are legal? I honestly didn't even realize. Listen, it's like an AEW tag. Does it really matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, from here, we get uh, we get another backstage segment. Bischoff, uh, he says, just into a door. You can't see who's in the room. He says that when the three minutes are up, he'll call him out. And I, I just, oh, my God. Um, and then from there, he runs into uh, – Chris Benoit, who I think it's just best that we wait till we get to 2007 to mention any of that. So he runs yeah, into Chris yeah. Benoit. Um, while we are not praising his actions that he pref- 
dead in 2000. Well, you know, you gotta say it just in case. Yeah, if people, yeah. If y'all don't know what we're talking about, just watch the Vice documentary. They put it much more elegantly than any of us ever could. Or be prepared want to. to cry. Be prepared that to be depressed. Vice documentary was so sad. Drink um, yourself into a coma, etc., yeah. etc. So uh, he, he comes up to Benoit and he says, tonight we're going to do Booker T versus Chris Benoit. Uh, it kind of harkening back to the best of seven series they had in WCW. Uh, and that's when Bischoff announces the winner of Booker T versus Chris Benoit later tonight will get a shot for RVD's Intercontinental title next week on Raw. Uh, and during this, you know, Benoit was never known for uh, being good at promos, being a good actor, but I did like he looked very confused talking to Bischoff and kind of annoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, also at the very end he sees there's a picture of Bischoff hanging up just randomly in a hallway backstage he's like what the hell is this yeah and I thought that, that was a fun little thing I think it's a good way to use him too just to like to avoid having him talk when he doesn't need to yes because I've heard his promos and he was not good at it that was not a strong suit his strong suit was in the ring um, sometimes but- I think you kill the mystique of somebody if they can't talk when you insist on having them talk ricochet oh anyway. yeah oh but for yeah. real just let him kick ass just let him let his action speak for him in the ring. Yeah. Um, so from here, uh, The Rock, he comes out to the ring. And uh, he, he comes out to a huge pop. Rock is over as hell. Uh, he pretty much always was from, you know, 1998 on. Um, so he comes out and he thanks Undertaker and Kurt Angle for tremendous match at Vengeance uh, that allowed him to win the Undisputed title. I actually caught me off guard when he did that. I thought he was leading up to that to talk more shit. And then he said, thank you. And I'm like, oh, okay. He, he did talk a little bit of shit. He said, uh, he said he wouldn't miss Raw even if he got to, he said he wouldn't ride motorcycles with The Undertaker and he wouldn't drink a big glass of milk with Kurt Angle. Mm-hmm. Um, so he then calls uh, Eric Bischoff, Eric Jerkoff, which is funny because I legit never would have thought of that pun, even though it's kind of like right there. Yeah, it, uh, it actually writes itself. Yeah, he calls him Eric Jerkoff, Eric Jackoff, and King does his scream that he always did. Uh, he gets interrupted by Latino he Eddie Guerrero. And the first note I wrote about Eddie Guerrero was how sweet that fucking mullet was. Okay, actually, that's like literally my notes right here say, man, that mullet. Like, I hate mullets. They're disgusting. Eddie Guerrero pulled it off. He yeah, did. that's one of the very few that can pull off a mullet. I think he's the only person I've ever seen pull a mullet off and look. I awesome I can't even style. argue. For some reason, for him, it works, and I have no idea why. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he eventually cuts it, but not until like 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. He keeps that thing well past its due. Yeah. Um, so he comes out and he says he has a problem with the Rock. He says that Eddie has two daughters that idolize himself, Eddie Guerrero, and um. He says that his kids have a poster of the Scorpion King rock next to a picture of Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero said he had to teach his kids a lesson. So he ripped that damn poster off the wall. He tore it up and he burned it in front of them. And when they started crying, they said, Daddy, don't. He told them to shut up. Uh, rock, rock, rock takes a big, uh, he doesn't like that. He, he has to pick a bone with that. He calls, he says, Eddie, you're a psychopath. And he says, you know what, Eddie? You're famous too. You're a big movie star like I am. But I just can't tell where you cheat or chong. Is it, and I have a question. Is that racist? Because I, I would say yes. I think In so. 2002, nothing's racist. Okay, well, that's not true. But mm. 
You know, I I actually have mixed feelings on that because I think if The Rock said that now, it probably wouldn't get the same pop it did that back then. Yeah, probably People because would, no one do the five year olds that watch Raw don't know who the hell Cheech and Chong are. Fair enough, but I mean, but I mean, in the sense of like, I think even people who know that would be like, mm. they'd be like, mm. yeah, could have maybe a little lowbrow humor, but whatever. Um, I want to segue real quick. Yeah, Try, I know you've played Here Comes the Pain a ton, and you know where I'm going. Yes, yes. But, but Dean, how much have you played Here Comes the Pain? I played it when at somebody else's home. I really didn't. See, I went straight from uh, Just Bring It all the way to SmackDown versus Raw 2006. Okay, well, first oh, wow. off, you need to go get Here Comes the Pain and a PS2. Here Comes the Pain is the best wrestling game of all time. Yes. All right. All right. But um, so you won't know this then. Like when you play career mode, um, if you run into Eddie backstage, there is a chance he like cuts the same promo pretty much and is like, look, dude, my daughters love me. They love you. So I had to teach him a lesson and so on and so on. That's oh, like, okay. Beat by beat, pretty much what's in Here Comes the Pain as well. Now, right. I assume Here Comes the Pain came out after this. 2003. Yeah, because I figure, like, if Brock Brock Lesnar was the poster poster boy, he, it almost would have yes. to be after Brock Lesnar debuted. It's so. uh, it's like Brock, Tori, and Ray mm-hmm. are on the cover of that game. Um, So uh, he says, you know, which one are you, Cheech or Chong? You know, Eddie gets pissed by that. He says that Rock respects no one and that Rock is jealous of Eddie because Eddie is a better wrestler which like real talk who's gonna argue against that right yeah um, can't even argue eddie says that he's got the hottest haircut in america and i said hell yeah you got the hottest haircut in america <laughs> haircut was sick um he's he calls it the people's mullet um which yeah, yes uh rock uh calls him he says something about you look like Billy Ray Cyrus had sex with a retarded something. He says retard, yeah. which got a big pop. And I was like, oh, he's dropping yeah. R-bombs on Raw. All right. Yeah. He probably, that's, that's the thing I noticed. I even wrote down that quote and I'm like, man, that wouldn't fly today. No, 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 no. That's just by today. virtue. If I guess if you replace the word with something else, but like, I don't think that, that word would fly on WWE television anymore. Hell no. It doesn't fly really much of anywhere. One thing I'll say about this segment is that usually I'm not like big on like segments that go on this long, but I, as I was watching it, something I came to realize was that the reason I don't like segments this long in a general sense is because they will put whoever is their top guy at the time, regardless of whether that per- person warrants 10 minutes plus of talking time and force them to do it, even if they're not known for their promos. And it makes they me realize, do that shit now. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm just like, yeah, um, the Rock can pull that off. The Rock can pull this off, yes. but not not everybody's The Rock. Not everybody can go for ten minutes and keep everybody entertained. Right. Um, so uh, Eddie says he's going to teach Rock a lesson tonight in a match. Rock starts doing this like Ariba singing, um, and the match is made for the main event. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, how did you guys feel about this promo? Because I thought it was not good. Rock is known for how good he is at promos. Eddie's, I wouldn't say he's known for his promos, but I always thought he was pretty good. He's definitely funny. Um, they're both known for being a funny promo. I, this felt like it was all over the place. Yeah, felt like it was cliche after cliche. You don't respect me. I don't like you. I'm gonna teach you a lesson. Like it just uh, wasn't a huge fan of the segment. You know, another thing about it is that what was even the auspices for like Eddie having an issue with the Rock? Like, 
was it just because he's the champ or did Eddie have any like reason he want like he thought he deserved the title or well he he his problem is that his daughter's I like oh her. okay he doesn't that's, like he thought Scorpion King sucked still which kind I of mean, a, it that's did. still kind of a forced reason for them to hate each other though but okay yeah um and I know I'm biased but like I never really enjoyed the rock sorry I know a lot See, of people I was too young my first memories of the rock are just watching like old DVDs of him in the attitude era really but it, to me it seems like just about every rock promo I'll give you this one it felt different it, it did seem all over the place but most of the time it's I'm the rock I'm back uh people's blah 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 lots of yeah jokes. it follows the same beats a lot yeah um so uh after this promo out comes Brock Lesnar the next big thing with his manager Paul Heyman uh, and they just walk right past The Rock, um, which uh, is interesting as they're kind of sort of in a feud at this point, building to SummerSlam 2002, uh, which is about a month away at this point. Uh, and we get our next match, short, short match. It's Brock Lesnar taking on Tommy Dreamer in a Singapore Kane match. Uh, now, if you're wondering why does Brock have a shot at Rock's title, he won King of the Ring 2002, mm-hmm. beating RVD in the finals. Um, my first note for this match, Tommy Dreamer was jacked at this point. He looked great. Yeah, I, I was actually really caught off guard by how good Tommy Dreamer looked when he came out. Yeah, like um, this is probably the best he had looked since uh, like early ECW. He's doing like a pretty boy gimmick. Yeah, and he was huge yeah. then. Like he was more jacked then than he than he is at this point. He's looking great at, uh, at this point. Uh, Tommy, he comes in, he hits a few uh, Singapore cane shots on Brock, um, and Brock he powders to the outside of the ring, and then Brock hits this disgusting belly to belly on the outside, Oof, where yeah. he damn near drops Tommy on his head. Yeah, you can like hear, you can like see Tommy like grasping at the back of his head after I was he lands. He, he landed a little awkward, very close to hitting his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up being fine. Uh, they start doing the shoulder ramps into the corner, Brock. Uh, he hits these awesome backbreakers. I mean, he's throwing Tommy around like a sack of garbage. You know, I, that's something I want to touch on real quick is that it's just, it's kind of sad to me how much more interesting Brock's moveset was back then. I didn't even think oh, about yeah. that, but that's such a good point. Like, like I haven't seen Brock do a backbreaker at, like pretty much ever. Yeah. Yeah, nowadays a Brock match is so lazy. It's Germans and F fives, and there you go. But he used to like have an arsenal. Yeah, he. I mean, it's you know you hear it a million times. It's kind of cliche and annoying to say at this point. But when Brock cares, he puts on tremendous matches. Oh, and yeah. I think he's one of the best sellers around. Oh, definitely. He definitely. will sell if he cares. He will sell his ass off. He sold that Claymore at the Royal Rumble like death. That man was on the outside of the ring, didn't move for like three minutes. Mm-hmm. It looked brutal. Um, Even like against guys like smaller guys like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, it's he like put them over big. He did. He did. He definitely did. Which is kind of amazing. It's like, oh, Brock likes you guys, doesn't he? Yeah, but then you know he faces Ricochet and Saudi and absolutely demolished him in like a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tommy's selling big for Brock. Obviously, Brock, they're building him as the next big thing. Legit. Um, He's doing the shoulders into the post, um, and he misses one. He hits his, you know, he misses it, and his shoulder hits the ring post. Uh, Tommy hits a big DDT. He gets the cane, 
and he, he hits him with it, and he goes to hit Brock in the ribs with the cane. Brock catches it with his arm, one arm. And he says, fuck this shit. And he just picks him up, F5, it's over. Brock wins the Singapore cane match without ever once using the Singapore cane, which is great. Yeah. He didn't need it. He's that he, – he causes that much destruction by himself. He doesn't need weapons. And I will say, I, uh, in an overall sense with this match, I was actually surprised by how much offense Tommy Dreamer got in. Like, I mean, he got a little. Brock didn't fucking, like, sell any of it, but he didn't need to. I mean – See, I guess the thing is, like, I wasn't even expecting, like, as much as he got. I legit thought it was going to be, like – Tommy's going to go in there. Brock's going to no-sell everything, get no offense in, and then Brock's going to F5 him, and that's it. I was actually surprised by the fact that Brock actually reacted to the Kane shots and that, he, and that Tommy Dreamer actually pulled off the DDT. I just wasn't expecting it. Right. Um, so after this match, uh, Taker just comes out and hits Lesnar with the Kane. Yep. Like, did that... I don't know what the hell that was all about. It, I think that's a matter of Taker being pissed he lost the title and Brock might win the title at SummerSlam, you know? So maybe, anybody who's in contention for the title or was involved, he's pissed. So that's this it. is going to be a running theme of Brock, not even on just this show, but I'm going to have to continue this point to the, on the SmackDown. But it feels like during this period of time, Brock's got beef with too many people at one time. Oh my, okay. I kind of liked that. I did too. That Brock just went around and stirred shit and did whatever he wanted. I liked that because the idea was kind of like, I'm Brock Lesnar, I'm going to stir shit, and you're not going to stop me because you can't. I'll just destroy mm. you. Um, so after this, uh, we see Big Show and Shawn Michaels backstage. Uh, show says, you hit me with Sweet Chin Music uh, just a few weeks ago when we were all in the NWO. Um, and I didn't like that. You said it was tough love. Well, I didn't think it was tough love. I don't see Kevin Nash behind you anymore. So uh, you'd really want to see how tough you are, Sean. And Sean says, no. And then that's it. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Sean said that he wanted to see how tough he was because he said, you know, Big Sean, I haven't wrestled in four years, so I don't know how tough I am anymore, but we'll see. Yeah, they tease a match. They tease a match that I swear to God never happened. I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I think the closest we get is in 2006 when DX feuds with Big Show and the McMahons. Yeah. And Big Show was kind of really like a third wheel in that feud anyway. Yeah, I don't know why the hell he was ever in that. Um, moving on, Sean Stasiak versus D'Lo Brown in a three-minute exhibition. They got a three-minute gap to film the show. Bischoff said, I'm going to give him a shot. So uh, <laughs> it starts off great. Uh, D'Lo Brown goes for a lockup, and Sean Stasiak just kicks him in the gut. And D'Lo no-sells it because I guess they didn't talk what they wanted to do first. Mm -hmm. um, so it starts off real awkward. Um, there's a drop kick by Brown that looks decent. And we're like 20 seconds into this match. And Bischoff says, 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, did we skip a minute forward or something? Yeah, I thought I thought I had the fast forward on the network on or something. Well, what I think happened there was he said 30 seconds had passed, not 30 seconds left. But he definitely gimmicked the time at one point. Definitely, which uh, I'll, I'll get to in a second. Um, there's a part where uh, they're kind of just trading. They're trying to get uh, real quick roll-up pins, get this over with, because they only have three minutes. Um, and uh, Stasiak puts on like a puts on like some type of rest hold, and Bischoff's pissed. He said, "What are you doing? Working a hold? You can't work holds." 
You got you got three minutes. You ain't got time to be working a body part. Uh, and I liked that. I don't think it was necessarily like they were legit gimmicking the time. You know what I mean? I think the idea. I think the idea was that Bischoff didn't want this match in the first place, and he wants it out of the ring asap. Not mm-hmm. even in three minutes. He wants it out now. That's what oh, I was yeah. trying to say. It was a not a WWE decision, but an Eric decision. Yeah, that 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 was like a uh, a character uh, thing. And then my boys, three minute warning come out. Rosie oh, and yeah. Jamal, these two big jacked Samoan guys. Well, not jacked. They're 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 big. You know, they're fatter guys. But these big, thick Samoan boys come out, and they're wearing this like disgusting, like. If you think about 2002 fashion, that's mm. what they're wearing. Yeah. And they come out and they absolutely wreck Stasiak and D'Lo Brown. So Moen drops. They both do big splashes off the top. And this is their debut. Um, Jamal, uh, we will obviously see him a lot. We'll see him, I mean, for pretty much the rest of this podcast if we actually you know, get to 2008. Because um, obviously, uh, 2005, he gets repackaged as uh, um, Umaga, Umanga. Um, and Rosie stays Rosie and becomes a superhero later on. But right now, they're the three-minute warning, and they're two big old powerhouses running raw with Eric Bischoff. And I just want to say, still the best Samoan drop in wrestling, period. Oh, yeah. Even in 2002. Yeah. Jamal definitely. Umaga. Yeah. Um. I will never forget. I watched it live when I was seven years old. January of 2008, building up to the Rumble, uh, Umaga fought the hooligans, London and Kendrick, in a two-on-one. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, Kendrick hit the ceiling how far he was thrown in the air for a Samoan <laughs> drop. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. It was awesome. And they spiked mm-hmm. him straight into the mat. Oh, yeah, he destroyed him. It was awesome. Uh, after this, we cut backstage... Triple H, he has a bag, and he hands it to Shawn Michaels, uh, and it's a shirt, and he says, you get this on. And Triple H, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, Shawn Michaels is very excited. He's like, no way, really? He's like, yeah, put it on. I'll meet you out there. Uh, and then from here, we cut to cut the book dust. Booker T and Gold Dust. The backstage, um, Gold Dust said, uh, after Booker beat Big Show last night at Vengeance, it was like a real David and Goliath. Um, and Booker T, you are the king of uh, the Giant Slayers. And the first thing I thought was King Booker. That's what I thought too. I thought it was funny. He was like disgusted at the idea of being a king. Yeah, that's I give it four years. Yeah, that was the first thing I wrote down. It's like hearing Booker complain about a crown is incredibly ironic. Yes, as one of his most overtimes in wrestling period is when he becomes King Booker uh, with Charmel and Finley and Regal on SmackDown. He wins the world title, uh, his only world title in WWE, other than yeah. I think he won it like during the invasion time, but who gives a shit? Um, yeah. So he, he says, uh, Goldust, you better not give me a crown. I swear to God. And he says, well, I don't have a crown but I have this wig and he gives it to him and it took me a second to get it. I don't know if you guys got it. Did you understand what the hell the reference was? Yeah. Cause I, even for 2002, it was dated. I can't think of the name, but the freaking boxing announcer or yes. manager. Yeah. Don King. Oh yeah. King. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, that was the I joke. Did, I, I, that completely went over my head. It took me a second because I was like, what the hell? And then he started cutting the, the promo that Don King would cut uh, for the boxing matches. You know, only in the USA, waving the flags and stuff, whatever. Mm. Um, and he's hyping up his match later uh, in the night with Chris Benoit, which is our next match. Uh, so, uh, once again, Booker T taking on Chris Benoit. Winner gets a shot for RVD's Intercontinental title next week. Uh, Benoit comes out to, like, no reaction at all. Um, and I would like to say, top 10 theme, whatever, by Our Lady Peace. Oh, it's song great. Is so good. It's great. It's great. It fit Benoit perfectly. Uh, and sadly, um, they do not perform the song anymore for obvious reasons. But yeah, amazing song. Like, even you, you take it out of the context of wrestling, I love that song. Oh, me too. Me too. Uh, so they start with some nice chain wrestling. Uh, Booker T, he shoulder checks Benoit so hard he trips. Oh, yeah, yeah. He puts yeah. stink on that. I was um, going to say, they both had stiff offense from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. I I mean, you look back, Booker and Chris Benoit always got their shit in. They laid that in. Together, they had amazing chemistry as well. Yeah, that's why they, I mean, hell, they had a best of seven in WCW, and then in a few years' time, they'll have a best of seven on SmackDown yeah. of the U.S. title. Um, so uh, we get, we're starting to get some shoulders to uh, Booker T is selling a rib injury uh, from last night against his in his hardcore match against Big Show, which I actually watched uh, not that long ago. That match is one of the fucking worst matches I've ever seen. Oh, is it that bad? Oh, jeez. It's okay. a Big Show match. What do you expect? I do not like him. Yeah, unfortunately, like I mean, it is kind of funny because like when you like when I think of Big Show, like. I find it funny that like suddenly his match quality got better when he when he like just lost some weight basically. He was actually having like decent matches with like Braun Strowman later in his career. Yeah, he had a he had a he had a decent like regular singles match against Braun. He had an okay uh, cage match against him. Mm-hmm. I do remember he surprised him and he surprised the hell out of me one time. Him and Roman had like a last man standing at an Extreme Rules pay per view. Oh yeah, I remember that. that I had yeah. absolutely no expectations for, and it was actually like I would say it was good. I was like, yeah, this was it, it was very entertaining. Um, so they're trading some big offense, some disgusting chops from Booker. Uh, we get a backbreaker by Ben Wall, and I snap suplex. Uh, Booker hits a couple of super kicks. His super kicks always look great. Uh, both his like uh uh. Not necessarily a super kick, but the kick that like you you hit him with like your uh, calf. You know what I mean? Oh, like uh, the uh, kick, like the spin kick, kick he does. Yeah, kind of like that. And when he he usually jumps into a super kick, doesn't he? A bit. He jumps into that uh, weird uh, kick I'm talking about with the calf or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's like a it's like a it's like a spinning crescent kick. Yeah, like the crescent kick. That, that's the term I was looking for. Uh, there's they're trading some uh, uh, some punches a uh, booker hits a big back body drop and a spine buster he he gets up top to go for uh the houston hangover which is one of my favorite moves awesome move it is uh, that apparently he beat big show with uh, the night prior um but book uh but uh chris uh chris benoit gets up so he instead does a nice missile drop kick I mean, booker t's a big guy i mean that guy's like six five six six mm-hmm. he'll come off the top of the big missile drop kick it's, 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 that's nice uh, he goes for the scissor kick and misses three German suplexes by Benoit and then an amazing bridging German suplex after. Oh, yeah. Yep. Love a good German suplex. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Booker goes for this, uh, you know, uh, Benoit ducks in the corner and he goes for this like roll up thing. They fucked up a little bit, but he got it. Um, oh yeah, and I, I forgot to mention early in the match, uh, Benoit exposes the middle turnbuckle, takes the pad off. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. I wasn't sure if we got there yet, but he definitely did that, which I guess I shouldn't be expected or expected. I'm surprised. Yes, Benoit uh, was a heel at this point, uh, him and Guerrero. Uh, and uh, Booker eventually uh, ends up hitting his head on the exposed buckle, and Benoit uh, is able to capitalize off of that and locks in the crippler crossface. Uh, I mean, this match was so exciting. Dean at a loss for his breath, right? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it is kind of funny because I, I, I will take your word for it, but I think – so a hurdle I'm going to have to get over is getting used to watching Chris Benoit matches again. I've kind of gotten over that. Uh, it's been a long time removed from that. And it's it kind of just gets to the point where you got to remove the performer from the person. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you kind of – sometimes you have to do that, obviously, to a much lesser extent mm-hmm. uh, with some people, whether or not you know there's a wrestler you know you don't agree with say you know politically or or whatever yeah uh or maybe they have a bit of a checkered past um mm-hmm. you know sometimes you just gotta you gotta kind of put that out of your mind sometimes yeah uh, obviously with benoit it's a way different and worse story mm-hmm. it's always going to be in the back of your mind no matter what yeah I- i'm gonna i'm gonna work at it though i'll get used to it eventually because he still is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time it's just unfortunate it's just yes it's uh yeah should we just mention it in case i mean i know i'm gonna have at least one friend that doesn't watch wrestling is gonna possibly listen to this should i just Mm. just say it real quick uh yeah go ahead just real quick benoit killed his wife and kid and then committed suicide yeah i mean it's it's awful um but if we're gonna do this podcast we gotta got to watch what was presented i guess and yeah and if we and omitted it if we if we omitted all the benoit matches we'd miss a lot of stuff because he ends up becoming a uh, main eventer not for a long time but uh, long enough yeah right? and he was always at least prominently booked like he wasn't yeah. one of those guys that just wasn't on tv he was pretty much on tv every week yeah. uh, and even like injured. and even after he wasn't a main eventer anymore he was still like upper mid card you know yeah he was always prominently featured uh no matter what um there was a pop for the finish, actually. They did pop for the crossface. This is when I noticed matches were so much shorter back in, back in these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ, every match on Raw is at least eight minutes now. I don't think a single match on this episode went past eight minutes. <sighs> Three hours, man. Three hours. I was about to say, this was so much easier to watch. Going from an hour and a half without the commercials to a three-hour Raw today where I swear to God, every segment is at least two minutes too long. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And every AEW segment's 25 minutes too long. So yeah, that's, and that's, it's unfortunate. I love, AEW. I love AEW, but oh my God, I don't think they've ever ended a match when they should have. Uh, yeah, I agree. It, it always goes past where it feels like would be the biggest pop yes. in the match. And to um, go back real quick to the uh, matches being shorter, I kind of realized that the main event, I know we'll get there shortly, but like, yeah, I, I, you know, I paused it to take a note and then 
I was like, shit, only 12 minutes left? Mm. And yeah. Yeah, and, and five of that is the ending segment. It's not even the match. Um, yeah. So uh goes to commercial and it comes back. A funny little thing, just a small little thing. Bischoff is on commentary for just this uh, next little segment. And uh, they open up with a big wide shot of the crowd from like the back of the arena where you see the stage and the ring. Uh, and he, uh, he starts saying, Tim, what the hell are you doing? That's not the camera angle I want. God, give me, cut to camera three, cut to camera three. I thought it was just a funny little thing. Uh, don't know who Tim's supposed to be. I'm surprised he didn't say like, you know, Kevin, Kevin Dunn, uh, who's the head of WWE production, has been since uh, hell the 80s. I mean, he's been around as long as Vince, you know. Yeah, he's one of those guys that has a job for life, basically. Yeah, well, have you ever heard the story on why he has a job for life? Because didn't, like, it was either him or his father, like, saved, like, a bunch of tapes from, like, a burning vehicle or something? Yes, uh, uh, the the story is that um, Kevin Dunn's dad worked for, uh, I think, Vince Sr., mm-hmm. maybe Vince Jr., um, and they had a bunch of tapes in the car, and the car somehow caught fire, and he went and saved the tapes, and somehow... Um, that loyalty has stuck for, you know, going on 40 years now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, good for Kevin Dunn. I don't think he's very good at his job most of the time, but, you know, good for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the next match coming up, uh, Big Show, 7-foot giant, takes on 5-foot-6, 150-pound, little Spike Dudley. Uh, I love Spike Dudley so much. You know, literally the first thing I wrote when I saw him coming, I was like, oh, God, Spike Dudley. Like, I like, okay, time for a squash match. Oh, my God. Okay, so, like, I expected a squash. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, real quick, I'd like to know, Bischoff's on commentary, and I love that the little character thing, Spike, gives Eric the death stare, because he's like, really? You're going to put me against fucking Big Show? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Bischoff says, listen, it's not about weight classes here. It's about heart. It's about your heart and your grit and how much you want to win. <laughs> so uh, there's nothing to say about this match. It's literally a squash. Spike didn't get a single move, and he went for a drop kick at the beginning and got swatted out of the air. Big Show wins with a choke slam. I, I just um, wanted to give my opinion on Spike real quick. Uh, I don't have many memories from like when he was actually wrestling, but when he would get to hit the Dudley, oh, what a, whatever. Acid drop. The acid drop. It was the acid drop in ECW, and obviously they changed that, uh, and they called it the Dudley Dog. Yeah, the Dudley Dog. I wanted to say Dudley Bulldog, but I knew that was wrong. Either way, that was always sick. I thought that was really cool. Yes, is kind of like a sliced bread. Yeah, but uh, pretty much what Dean said, too. Like, you see Spike Dudley, you know he's going to get fucked up. Every time, bro. Um, Most of my memories, actually, are – Early TNA, Abyss used to beat the shit out of them mm. every week, uh, throw them into tacks and tables and barbed wire and everything. Um, after the match, fun little note of continuity, I guess. Uh, Big Show goes to get the same exact table from the same part of the ring that Bubba was trying to get earlier. And he gets to the table, he sets it up in the ring, and uh, he's uh, he's trying to I, – I, I imagine he's going for a choke slam or something to spike, and out comes Bubba. Uh, Bubba and Spike are obviously half-brothers from Dudleyville. It doesn't go well for Bubba. Big Show attacks Bubba's injured arm uh, from Vengeance, and he chokeslams Bubba through Spike through a table. Ugh, yeah. Which, that's a hell of a bump for Spike because Spike is 150 pounds soaking wet, 
and Bubba is like 300 pounds dry. So yeah. a hell of a bump for Spike, which is kind of the story of his career. And that table is only going to do so much to break the fall when you're the one on the bottom. Yes. Yeah. I, I will say this is going to sound weird. I was actually surprised Bubba came out to help Spike. And th- that might be a weird thing to say, but it's only because I'm so used to the modern product where baby faces never help each other. Oh, baby faces don't have friends. Yeah. Like, because even like, if you remember, like there were the times that Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins or even, I mean, not Roman Reigns, like uh, Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose would be getting beaten up. And even when Roman was like still sometimes actively showing up with them on screen, like Roman just wouldn't come out to help. Or like, right. John, or like John Cena would never come out to help somebody he's supposed to be friends with at this point in the show. Right. And that's, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good point. And we do see more of that later on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But, yeah, everyone had friends back then, which yeah. uh, I thought really helped with uh, just making the show flow better. Uh, like, I thought the show was, everything kind of flowed together. Everything felt like it was part of one big story, which I don't feel like it, it, it's like that anymore. These days, everything feels like it's in a vacuum. Right. Like, it'd be weird. I'm trying to think. It would be weird to see Drew McIntyre interact with, uh, I would say R-Truth, but that literally just happened last night. Um, but it'd be weird to see, I don't know, Drew McIntyre hanging out with Mojo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, everybody like, be like, yeah. what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, I mean, even if he was hanging out with Heath Slater, which I know he's not with the company anymore, but even if he was hanging out with Heath Slater, I'd still be like, oh, geez, they're actually acknowledging this. Interesting. Yeah, it's just, I don't know if that's a social media thing uh, or more, maybe we're more jaded. I don't know what it is. I just, I felt the show flowed much better around this time. Oh, I agree. uh, The DX uh, Tron and music hit, and I'm telling you right now, if this shit doesn't also get you hyped, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. I got so pumped the second I heard, are you ready? And then you see the, the green waveforms. Oh my God, top 10 right there. Um, they're coming out wearing their DX shirts. That, that's the shirt uh, that HBK was very excited for. Uh, we get the, the cool, they do the crotch chops with the DX pyro, the X shooting up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed there's a lot of DX uh, signs in the crowd. So this must've been... Uh, leaked somehow on a dirt sheet the rag sheets brother i always wonder how that happens because sometimes like i don't know say jeff hardy's been out for a while and everybody's Mm -hmm. like jeff is god jeff come back tonight and then he does and i'm always thinking like i know dirt sheets are a thing but how do so many people catch wind of that to have these signs you know yeah maybe more maybe maybe more people read dirt sheets than you would think especially back then i mean Internet's not nearly as prevalent uh, back then as it is now. Everyone's got the internet now. Um, I remember very vividly, Damon, uh, the first time I ever really like heard of a dirt sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 2006. And it, funny enough, Jeff Hardy, his first comeback with the company. Oh. When he, uh, him and Edge had a match on to open up Raw, I vividly remember you telling our dad uh, that – Jeff Hardy's coming back. And at the time, I only knew Matt Hardy. I was too young to remember Jeff. Okay. And I was like the biggest fucking Matt Hardy mark you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I heard there was another Hardy, and I was like, hold up. And then, obviously, the second you see Jeff with his colorful hair, he's a million times cooler. Um, sorry, Matt, but, you know, it's like that. So, uh, uh, DX comes out, and Sean says, just when he thought it was 
it was safe to turn on the old pro wrestling show. We're back in town. Uh, and you, you get the, the typical DX shtick, you know, the are you ready? No, I said, oh, are you ready? Uh, and Triple H does the let's get ready to suck it thing right into a kick and a pedigree to Shawn Michaels. He turns heel on him. He rips off that DX shirt and he throws it in Shawn's uh, face and he leaves the ring. And may I just say, he planted Shawn Michaels with oh that pedigree. Oh my God, he killed him with this pedigree. Shawn jumped for it. He splatted. Um, something I thought about uh, around this, uh, uh, right around this time in mid-2002. Uh, and if you know, don't say it because we'll get to it uh, a few weeks away. Mm-hmm. D- this is a DX reunion. Why the hell wasn't Xbox invited? Huh. I actually don't know. That's actually a good question because they were referencing the NWO, so Xbox is still in the company, isn't it? Yes, Xbox is still with the company for a little bit. Uh, and we'll get to that uh, come SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Um. So Triple H, uh, they cut to commercial. Triple H gets in a limo, shirtless. That's pretty baller. And he leaves. And right as he leaves, another limo appears. It's Stephanie McMahon, the new general manager of SmackDown. And she said she would like to talk to Eric Bischoff. Her and Bischoff are feuding at this point. Um, so yeah, uh, from there, we get to our main event. Undisputed champion in a non-title match. Undisputed champion, The Rock taking on Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero. And if I remember uh, correctly, the gimmick is that if Eddie wins this match, he can have a title match next week. Okay, see, I didn't... Uh, yes, I remember they said that. Eddie said that, but, like, that was never got confirmed. Well, it's one of those things where Eddie alludes to it, but I don't know if The Rock ever even actually said, yeah, I'll do that. He just kind of proposes like to, it. <laughs> I like to think if Eddie won, spoiler, he loses. Um, <laughs> if Eddie won, he's like, I get my, I get my title shot, Holmes. And The Rock's like, no, you don't. <laughs> I never agreed to that. And then they watched the tape, and Eddie, even Eddie's a heel, he's like, Yeah, I took the L on that. I can't even argue that one. I'll say this one thing I always found, this, and this isn't even just a Raw or SmackDown, this is just a wrestling thing in general. Mm-hmm. I find non title matches weird. Like, what? I, fi- I find it weird that, like, you could potentially beat the champion, but you don't get his title. I feel that if you beat the champion in a non title match, you should get a title match either the next week or at the pay-per-view. Mm. I mean, you already proved you can beat them. Yeah. I just, it just, it's, it's this weird thing of like, I find it weird that a champion can lose potentially, but still be champion, even if they lost completely clean in the middle of the ring. That's fair. I just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I understand that it's a wrestling thing. You just kind of have to accept, but just like in a sports sense, it always seems strange to me. And to add to that, I I absolutely hate it. It only happens occasionally, but when um, say like you said, Dean, the title get the champion gets beat clean, middle of the ring, non-title, and then they're like, oh, so you do get the title shot, and then they have a match again, but then the champion wins. It's like, well, you could have lost, but now that the title's on the line, you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a fluke uh, when that happens. Um, also, I mean, even like, and I hate to, I hate to drag this out, but like, even like with Kofi Kingston, he beat Randy Orton when Randy Orton was champ, and he didn't get a title shot for like another half decade. Well, you know, I want I'm just saying, the, like, the, it's, the, it's 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 especially weird when even when you beat the champion, you still don't even get a title shot because like Kofi had a rematch the next week, and it's like, no, it's not for the championship though. It's like, wait, what? 
the main thing Damon and I were sad that we're not going to get to touch on on this podcast. We will miss by about a year the time that Randy Orton single-handedly put uh, killed Kofi's push. Oh, And he yeah. RKO's him and starts going, stupid, stupid. We're going to yeah. miss that by about a year. Um, Damn, you're right. Back to The Rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, everyone, if we go on tangents too much, but you're going to have to suffer through it or just not listen. That's up to you. I can't make you. Um, so first thing I know, uh, be- beating a dead horse sort of, uh, Rock is so much smaller in 2002. Oh, yeah. Oh, Completely yeah. different person now. He, yeah. If you put them side by side, you probably wouldn't even think it's the same person. Different tattoos. The Rock now is 80 times bigger than The Rock this time. And he's still in tremendous shape in 2002. Don't get me wrong. He's still jacked. But oh, he yeah. is absolutely like disgusting big now. He just, he looks more like he has a realistic physique. Like you could actually potentially look like him if you yes. just worked at it hard enough. These days, it's like, nah, you kind of need a little, uh, you need a little, a little assistance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you need a little um, assistance. So uh, we start with some nice chain wrestling, some headlocks, uh, another shoulder check by The Rock. Um, two uh, beautiful arm drags by The Rock, I noted. Mm-hmm. Um, we do, uh, I hope you guys understand when I write this, because I don't know what the hell you'd call it. Uh, I wrote, Eddie does the Owen spot, the Owen Hart spot. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like, you mean like the backflip? Off the- yeah okay so like he's in the wrist lock right and he does the spin around backflip into his own mm-hmm. owen hart used to do that all the time that's the first guy i think i ever really saw do it. and i've heard a lot of other people call it the owen you know doing the owen the owen spot mm-hmm. um uh eddie clotheslines um well no i'm sorry eddie gets clotheslined out of that after he does that cool spot rock with this awesome belly to belly that he also does on smackdown later I've never seen him do this belly belly, but it looked beautiful every time. Looks mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I, I will uh, say the Rock actually kind of impressed me during this match. Yeah, but I think that I think that might partially be because, like, in the matches that he's had, like in recent memory or times when he like has tons of ring rust and he's like probably not as mobile as he used to be, given how big he is now. Like how big I, he is, plus it's eighteen years later. Yeah, so it's like one of those things where I think in my head I kind of forgot that the Rock at one point really was that good. I was he's pretty good. Like, yeah. I don't, I've never really heard a lot of people say like, man, Rock was so good in ring, but I mean, he definitely holds his own against a guy that everyone knows was amazing in the ring, Eddie Guerrero. Mm-hmm. We're getting uh, some stomps and chokes by Eddie uh, to the Rock, uh, some just chin locks and, you know, typical punch kick type thing. Uh, Rock is able to punch his way out of a chin lock, but he gets caught with a drop kick anyway, beautiful drop kick. Um, Eddie gets this cool uh, head scissor, uh, submission in on the rock for a rest hold. I made sure to take note of that. That was interesting. You don't see a lot of that anymore. Yeah, the, uh, JR kept calling it a figure four head scissors. Yes. Huh. Um, which was interesting. Uh, Eddie, when he has that, and he does this classic, uh, you know, grabbing the rope for leverage heel spot, uh, mm-hmm. which Earl finally does notice. Um, and, you know, he starts counting one, two, three, four. Eddie gets off, and he's just beating the rock down anyway. Uh, Rock starts coming back with some punches and some chops, uh, but Eddie cuts him off the clothesline into another headlock. Um, and Damon noted, uh, he told me about this match beforehand. He was like, man, shit ton of rest spots in this match for a mm. match that's not very long. Uh, Rock does his, you know, the two punches into the spit and the hand punch yeah. uh, with the DDT. Eddie, once again with the clothesline, but Rock kind of no-sells it, does his kip up, 
into a I've seen this clip before. It's awesome. He goes for a rock bottom, but Eddie arm drags and rolls up into a pin attempt, which was really cool. I've never seen that uh, from anyone else. The thing is, I'm not going to lie. Don't get me wrong. I kind of knew going in who was going to win. Well, but no even, shit. Yeah, but even like, then, it still almost caught me off guard. Where I was like, "Oh Jesus, this is about to like—is Eddie about to win?" Like, I I don't remember I know, this. Right? Yeah, I um, don't mean to shit on this match, but like, I I don't know. I agree with everything y'all have said, but I, I think the rest holds for a short match is what's detracting me from liking it. I thought it was fine. Uh, I mean, it was okay, um, but it wasn't great. Yeah. But that spot that we were just talking about—the rock bottom into the arm drag into the pin. That was sick. That really did. Yeah, that, was pretty, my- that was pretty cool. Oh, um, yeah. Eddie does a, a nice Frankensteiner. He goes for the frog splash and misses. Uh, he just eats Matt. Spinebuster and a people's elbow for the win. Rock picks up the win. Uh, Brock comes in uh, and he steals the title from Earl Hebner. Uh, Earl was trying to give the title to Brock. Earl, the second he saw Brock and uh, Rock lock eyes, he fucking left that ring so quick. He said, I am breaking <laughs> this up. I don't get paid enough for this. Oh, We're getting yeah. some uh, Rocky chants, you know, Rocky, Rocky. They're staring down, and uh, something something very small I liked. Brock keeps eyeing the title and eyeing Rock. He gets back and forth. Rock does not move his eyes off of Brock, because he knows if I move my eyes, this man's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just he's just dead staring him. Brock, uh, he just throws the title at Rock's feet. Uh, and that's, that's the end of um, the in-ring stuff for the night. Oh, we go backstage where Bischoff, he meets Steph in her limo. Uh, she says, you know, I'm going to kick you in the testicles. That's what I want to do. Before that, though, it was funny because uh-huh. Eric was like, what do you want to do? You want to bitch slap me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've seen a compilation of Stephanie's slaps. Uh-huh. She laid those shits in. Oh, my God, dude. And I've heard stories of uh, wrestlers say, like, yeah, dude, one of the worst uh, things I've ever been hit with is a Stephanie slap. Because apparently, one, she doesn't hold back, and two, sometimes she hits you in the ear and it makes your ear ring. Mm-hmm. Like, she, bro, she don't hold back. That sucks, things. man. I know, dude. I've been smacked in the ear where it rings. It, dude, it's not fun. It hurts so bad. Um, she says, I'm going to kick you in the testicles. And Erica Bischoff hits this it's just ridiculous karate pose. He mm. starts doing like the whoa and shit. It was so funny. Oh, yeah. If he was Asian, that'd be like uber racist oh yeah <laughs> but he's like a legit black belt yeah yeah um, so i mean i guess you know he's got the credentials um uh brock brock and Heyman come in and brock steps in between uh bischoff and stephanie and uh uh you know eric's hiding behind brock saying what you gonna do you gonna kick me in testicles you gonna, you gonna beat me up you gonna kick me in testicles and uh brock and Heyman start getting in the limo with steph and eric's like brock what, what the hell are you doing get back here and Stephanie said, you know what? This is the kick to the testicles. It was a metaphorical kick to the testicles mm-hmm. as Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman have officially signed an exclusive contract with SmackDown. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the show. We go off air. Guys, how did you uh, feel about this episode of Raw? Um, I actually thought, I actually, uh, I actually quite liked it. Not everything was great. Like we, we alluded to like some of our issues with the, uh, the Bubba Ray Dudley and uh, Trish Stratus match. Um, yes. But overall, I thought the opener was good. I think I liked, um, uh, let's see. I think I like, I'm probably liked uh, the rock and Eddie Guerrero more than you did Damon. Yeah, probably. Um, 
Like, I actually really, really like that match. Um, I think, and it's, I, I don't want to be that guy, but for me, the low light of the show was probably just hearing Stephanie talk. Okay, so real quick, um, I thought her acting on Raw was bad, but I thought she did a lot better on SmackDown just a couple mm-hmm. days later, uh-huh. which was uh, very weird. I don't, I don't know if that's a you know a live versus tape thing. Maybe she was nervous. I don't know, but um, yeah, I thought she sounded really awkward on Raw, and there was a couple of spots because she had a shit ton of segments on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of spots where she sounded a little robotic, but other than that, I thought she did a lot better. It felt a lot more uh, natural. Yeah, on SmackDown. Yeah. Um, I agree. Damon, how did you feel about this episode of Raw? Um, overall, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, like Dean said, there were some bits, you know, not everything's perfect. I didn't care for the main event as much as you two did, but that's okay. Um, I honestly think the my favorite two, three things would be the very, very end of Raw we just discussed, um, the DX reunion, and then Triple H slamming Shawn Michaels into the mat. And that ladder match was awesome. Um, yeah, I agree with most of that. Um, would I say it was like a great episode of Raw? Uh, probably not. I thought it was good. Uh, like I said um, earlier, so it flows so much better it does. At, in these times than it did than it does now. Um, all in all, I thought it was fun. It, it was a it was a quick watch. Um, favorite match of Raw. Um, see, the matches weren't even the, like the best part of Raw to me. Um, Maybe the ladder match. I mean, those guys went out there and absolutely destroyed each other. Um, so that's it for Raw. And now we're going to move on to SmackDown. And we're back. For SmackDown, July 25th, 2002, taped on Tuesdays, airing on Thursdays. We're in Indianapolis, Indiana. I should have mentioned uh, on Raw, they were in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, so we open up uh, with the same uh, you know, signature, obviously without Eric Bischoff's face. And it's uh, I expected to go right to the theme song. We actually got a video package with Stephanie. Um, and I believe it's Titan Towers, actually, the background she had with all the screens. Um, she says, this is a new era of SmackDown starting tonight. It's her first night officially as the GM of SmackDown. Uh, and she notes a lot of cool shit that actually, like, legit got me pumped for the show. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. She hyped up, like, just about everything that was going to happen. And it all sounded awesome. Right. Um, so the main event, we're going to get Edge versus Chris Jericho in a steel cage match. The official WWE debut of Rey Mysterio. Uh, we're going to get Undisputed Champ, The Rock, teaming up with Hollywood Hulk Hogan against the Un-Americans, Christian Lance Storm for the WWE Tag Team titles. Also, the SmackDown debut of their newest signee, Brock Lesnar. So, uh, I mean, they, telling you what's going to happen on the show right from the get-go, got, I was excited. I was like, oh, shit, we got some cool stuff coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we go, back to top 10. Oh, my God. I w- okay, so I watched this uh, like just this morning at like 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. The second, The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson hit. Oh, I yeah, started yeah. headbanging so hard. 
that dude, that song got me so hyped. Top 10. You don't know how excited I was also oh. when I heard that. I was like, hell yeah, I get to listen to it when I edit and put it in the oh. podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, so good. Um, so it opens up straight into a match. Um, we Obviously, we see the awesome fist set. Everyone agrees um, it's the best SmackDown set of all time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So cool. Um, out comes Kurt Angle. Um, and first thing that surprised me, the You Suck chants were pretty light at this point. I mean, nowadays he, he leads the crowd to do them and everyone's doing it. Um, but you barely hear it uh, during his theme at this point, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so we open up with Kurt Angle taking on the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Uh, and they make a note on commentary that these are two former Olympians going head to head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I was going to do the research and I didn't because Mark Henry does nothing for me. But he did something in the Olympics. I'd probably powerlifting. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was powerlifting. Bird Angle obviously won the wrestling gold medal in the 96 Olympics with a broken freaking neck. Yes. Um, so we get a lockup. And uh, obviously, Kurt Angle's not winning that lockup. Big shove off by Mark Henry. He goes for a German suplex, uh, which, once again, obviously is going to happen. Henry with a big body slam. Uh, and Kurt Angle, he uses his uh, amateur wrestling acumen to his advantage. He gets a takedown into a headlock. And this part was impressive. Mark Henry picked him up, deadlifts him, and just puts him on the turnbuckle and pats him on the head like a baby. I thought that was funny how he treated Kurt Angle. Like, Kurt Angle, in his own right, to 99% of humans, is one bad motherfucker. Mm. And Mark Henry picked him up like it was nothing. Um, You know, it is funny because I honestly did not remember Mark Henry being that good of a baby face back then. um, Okay, so here's the thing. These chants have to be piped. Because oh, I swear okay. to God, you're hearing like these big screams and pops from Mark Henry in this match. Everyone was sitting on their hands. <laughs> I looked into the crowd. Not a single person was moving. Damn, I didn't even notice. Damn. Yeah, I mean, bro, this is taped. Uh, it is what it is. Um, we get a big military press. Um, and that's when, I, that's when I note the obvious piped chants. Um, uh, back suplex by Kurt Angle. Uh, they, and a, then a power slam to Angle. And then uh, Mark Henry taking a page out of his former tag team partner, the Godfather's uh, move book, uh, his arsenal. He has a hoe train into the corner. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, even pick up on that. That's good. I mean, obviously he didn't like you know do the pumping or whatever, but you know he does he does the running, uh, you know, Splash. squashes him in the corner. Yeah. 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 Nice little callback. Nice little callback. Uh, Henry uh, picks up the win by DQ. When Brock F5s him with absolute fucking ease, he picked him up. It didn't do, he didn't strain, nothing. No, effortless. Effortless. It took, it was no problem for Brock Lesnar to just pick Mark Henry up, who's a 350 pound man, and just slam him onto the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of a nothing match, really. I mean, lasted yeah, like three it, minutes. It, it, it was what it was. I guess, really, if anything, it was probably just more there for setup for Brock and Kurt Angle later down the road. Yeah. Um, so uh, that happens, and Kurt is obviously not happy. So he he goes backstage and he sees uh, he sees Brock and Heyman backstage. He's like, "What the hell was that all about?" 
and Brock actually held his own cutting a promo, which was very interesting. I made mm-hmm. sure to take note of that. That was crazy to me because you're so used to nowadays Heyman being his mouthpiece. I'll say Brock. Well, here's the thing. Brock, like, pretty much never talks. But when he does, it's hilarious. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like when he told Heath he doesn't give a shit about Heath's kids. And that's ex- that was so the first good. thing I thought of. Yes. Um, yes. So Brock, Brock said, well, Kurt, looked like you were having a little bit of trouble out there. So, uh, you know, I was going to give you help. And, uh, you know, I wanted to face you for the Undisputed title of SummerSlam, but you kind of blew it at Vengeance. So Oof. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe, maybe being the top guy on SmackDown is being too hard for you. Oof. And uh, Kurt does not like that. Kurt leaves. He's, uh, he's, he's pissed, and Brock pretty much insinuates, as long as Brock Lesnar's around, Kurt Angle can't be the top guy. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, we go backstage into Stephanie's office with Stacy Keebler. Um, basically, <laughs> I wrote, I, I, I just wrote this note, Vince a pimp and has bitches. You know, okay, so like that line where Stephanie said, like, if I know if I know my father, he's probably being serviced somewhere else right now. Yeah, yeah. Stacy says that her services were no longer needed. Stephanie says, "If I know Mr. McMahon, someone else is probably already servicing to him." Uh, at this time, Vince was known for taking the newest woman and making out with her all the time on mm-hmm. television. Yeah, a little weird that is Vince's daughter acknowledges that, but I mean she's not wrong. Well, she's not dumb. She watches the product, brother. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's the best the, the thing that gets me about sometimes the modern product is like, you're like, so are the wrestlers not watching the show? Sometimes it really feels that way. Like, you, yeah, for example, I can't think of a specific time really off the top of my head, but like there'll be like um, two heels are talking about their plan to beat someone up, right? Mm-hmm. And then the face gets beat up. It's like, did you not fucking watch the promo 20 minutes ago? <laughs> Yeah. Like you're stupid if you get jumped at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Keebler says, you know, what what am I what am I to do uh on SmackDown now? And Steph says, Well, you can be my assistant. And uh she says, All right, what would you like me to do? And she says, Well, how about you start by uh getting whoever just knocked at the door? And she goes and there's flowers. And um Stacy uh reads the card on the flowers and it says, uh you know, your SmackDown's loss is Raw's gain from Eric. Uh, so Eric Bischoff insinuating that he signed someone from SmackDown onto Raw to get back for the signing of Brock Lesnar uh, on Raw mm-hmm. uh, just a couple days ago. Steph's pissed and she throws that vase of flowers, shatters. Um, that's the end of that segment. How do you guys feel about Stacey Keebler? I. I don't have many memories of her. Like I said, you know, I'm I'm younger than you guys, so like r- my only real memory is towards the end of her run in like 2005 when she's with Hurricane and Rosie as Super Stacy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that and when Test and Scott Steiner feuded over. Her. Oh, yeah. Oh, she, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She was like doing the branding for Test and did the I love my testicle shirt. Yep. Um Ooh, 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 yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that happens. Uh, and we cut to, to the arena. And I hear the, the church organ. And the testify. And the, mm. please call my name. 
Devon Reverend Devon Dudley. I popped so hard. I was like, no way. <laughs> Is, am I about to watch Reverend Devon? And he comes out with uh, someone you may know, Deacon Batista. Yeah, I heard he's been in a couple movies. Yeah, he's been in a couple uh, small indie movies, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, uh, small, yeah, yeah. low-budget things. Um, and Devon, Reverend Devon, uh, with uh, Deacon Dave Batista, is taking on the big Valboski, Val Venus. Why the hell did they change his name to the big Valboski? Because of the big Lebowski? That's such a... Once again, WWE is known for this. That's such a dated reference by 2002. That movie came yeah, out that's like actually 99, what I was gonna, 2000. Yeah, because I was about to ask, like, when did the Big Lebowski even come out? Like a few years before this. Yeah, like, like that's you, you guys are late. Also, what does what do Lebowski and Val Venus have in common? I'm I'm be honest, I've never seen a Big Lebowski. I've heard it's a great movie, but like, did he have a lot uh, of sex? Because Val Venus's whole thing is that he's a porn star. See, you asked me that question, and I'm like. I can't think of anything. Yeah, I don't I don't know what this is about, but that's what he's going by now. Uh, I noted that everyone was wearing that white tape at, around this time to sell an injury. Mm-hmm. Everybody. It's kind of like nowadays, it's pretty much the same thing. Everyone wears that Kinesio tape. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, very interestingly, uh, you know, Reverend Deve on the heel, he has Deacon Batista to help him win his matches. So, you know, Big Valboski, he needs someone in his corner to help equalize things. And when I think who's going to beat up six foot five Deacon Batista, it's fucking spark plug Bob Holly. <laughs> Bob Core, hardcore Holly comes out. He's in Val's corner. Uh, Val starts off hot with some punches and some chops. Uh, does, a, does an elbow and a knee drop. Uh, and then he does a big crossbody to, uh, to Devon onto the outside. Uh, Batista, he picks up Reverend Devon. He throws him back into the ring. Uh, and a Devon from there is in control. He does this beautiful corkscrew elbow. I've always loved that corkscrew elbow Devon does. Mm-hmm. Um, he misses an elbow off the top. Val does his comeback. And he does, uh, he, it used to be his finish for a short amount of time uh, back in the 90s, uh, the perfect plex, the fisherman suplex. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You guys know what he called it? Because I just learned by happenstance like two days ago what he calls it no what's that? Uh, no i don't the perfect package oh because penis right ah so, okay i guess it fits the gimmick right uh uh batista uh, he swipes uh val's leg to break up the pin uh and bob holly beats the shit out of batista yes he does like i expected him to like charge and then batista just clothesline him or something he started, he neutralized him. He started beating him up. Um, and then Val, uh, he hits like a blue thunder bomb. Not as cool as like Sami Zayn's blue thunder bomb, but he hits a blue thunder bomb for the win. Yeah. And then, and then Batista just beats up Val and Bob Holly. So do you guys know if they were like trying to push him at this point? Uh, who? Uh, uh, Val Venus. The only reason I asked is because I, I was, I was, one thing I'm asking, the reason I'm asking is because one thing I took note of was the fact that like Val Venus was dominating most of this match. I don't think they were trying to push him at this time. Okay. It, I um, was just, I'm just, don't get me wrong, I understand the heel face dynamic, but it felt like most of this match was Devon getting his ass kicked. I think they're doing that mostly because Devon's kind of the cowardly heel. That's why mm-hmm. he has Deacon Batista. 
Um, I think Val's push was very much over, definitely by this time. Um, I think his last real push, if you'd even call it that, was probably right to censor in 2000, 2001. Yeah. But he um, was like Intercontinental Champion champion before that, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, he he was kind of over uh, back in the Attitude Era when he when he first was doing like the porn star gimmick. He former European champion, former Intercontinental champion. Uh, he was always pretty prominently featured for a while. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what happened to him. He ended up cutting his hair. I don't know why he did that. He had beautiful long hair. Yeah, kind of looked like Triple H. And I, I will say though, I, I do think it was good that Batista got his heat back at the end of the at the end of this just because getting like completely dominated by bob holly it's like okay batista needs to get his batista needs to get his heat back now fucking bob holly also face bob holly to me is a weird sight yeah he comes off as such a prick he does it's so hard to buy him as a face yeah um and now i think about it he is pretty much a face for all of the ruthless aggression era Mm -hmm. other than his very short run on ecw he was a heel during the huh Damn, that's kind of, that's still um, weird. Yeah, he, I guess he he played a face, but he was always kind of like the tough, like hard love type of guy. Like mm-hmm. when him and Cody were a team, Cody Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a face, but he definitely, you know, he wasn't a happy-go-lucky type of guy. Yeah. Um, after this, Stacy Keebler uh, is backstage with uh, four security guys, um, and she says, "Listen, if you see anything suspect, anything suspicious." You report to Stephanie immediately. And uh, she sees Edge just walking in the background. And for some fucking reason, she thinks that means he's signing with Raw. What the hell was that? Yeah, Stacy isn't exactly the brightest. I'm not. I was going to say, is that the joke that she's just dumb? Maybe. I think so. Yeah, that's kind of the weird thing about it because, like, Edge didn't even do anything that would imply he was even doing anything out of the ordinary. He was just walking. Yeah. Like, Like, if he was on his phone. Maybe. Yeah, you know, that's true. Know. If he was at least on his phone, that would have at least been something. I mean, well, we kind of get to that like uh, pretty soon, you know. Mm-hmm. Being on the phone was something that everyone was wary about uh, during this time period. Uh, and I did know nice flip phone. Everyone, obviously, 2002, everyone got uh, flip phones back then. Um, we cut to uh, our WWE Tag Team Champions, Lance Storm and Christian, part of the Un-Americans. Uh, they're backstage. Uh, Christian has a very funny line. Uh, he said, uh, we won these titles in a very un-American way, which at first I thought that was such a dumb line. But then he, he, he is able to rectify it by saying, we won it in such an un-American way by working hard and actually earning it. I loved that. That was so funny. Did you guys notice anything weird about this segment? Okay, so uh, two things I'll say about this segment. One, yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, it's Lance Storm, so I only expect so much. But Lance Storm was a little stiff. Uh, That's always, yeah. I mean, hell, that was his. That was kind of the joke, a gimmick in WCW. He would go out there and he'd say, "If I could be serious for a moment." Yeah, and and um, I guess another thing is that, and I'm not trying to get political here, but I just find it ironic that Canadians are talking about how they earned something, and I'm like, compared to like comparing America to Canada, I'm like, you guys have more of a social safety net. You guys have more of like a a blanket so to speak i find it weird when a, a canadian would say that we worked hard for this when you guys like literally have universal health care cena cena ends up making a joke later in a fucking terrible promo we'll get to that oh but, god that yeah that promo um 
also, I think uh, it's important uh, to note uh, at this time, mid-2002, um, patriotism was at a high, obviously, due to 9-11. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they were very much capitalizing off of that. Uh, and I guess they did it as tastefully as you could by doing it with two Canadians. You know, they didn't take two, you know, they didn't take two darker guys and try to pass them off as Iraqi or whatever, like they did with uh, Muhammad Hassan later. That is, that's Because he's Italian. He's not even, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and we'll get to this later whenever it happens. I don't know exactly when it happens, but the Un-Americans eventually break up later in the year. Uh, Bruce Pritchard said they broke up because they were getting so much heat. Like they were scared to be in the airports. They were afraid they were going to get jumped. Jeez, okay. Yeah, apparently, I mean, people hated the Un-Americans at this time. Uh, very much, you know, product of how the U.S. was at that time. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but the weird thing I noticed about this segment, just a small thing, the WWF logo is still on the tag titles. Oh, shit, yeah. And to yeah. be fair, we're only about uh, about a month, two months removed from them changing the name because of the World Wildlife Fund lawsuit. Yeah. Um, but they'll get there eventually. I mean, hell, you still see in video packages at this point, the WF logo is still there because it's it ju- they just changed to WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Edge backstage with uh, security. He's just talking to him. He compliments one of them on their nice shirt. Uh, and they inform him no one can leave the building. Stephanie comes up. She wants to hear from Edge. Um, she, she's saying, listen, you haven't even heard my side of the story yet. We want you on SmackDown. We think you're a great fit for SmackDown. And he's confused. He said he trusts Stephanie and her vision for SmackDown. And then he says, I want to show you something in the truck. And uh, they, they go into the production truck. Edge is a gentleman. He says, ladies first. She walks in. Um, and I was expecting, because he, he was saying, like, this is for Chris Jericho. And I was expecting, like, maybe an embarrassing video package on Jericho, something making fun of him, something goofy like that. Mm-hmm. It was just a countdown to the main event. Yeah. Such a, like, who cares? Yeah. Um, and Edge uh, says that he's excited to beat uh, Chris Jericho's ass. And they censor ass. And I'll get to that later. But I want that to be known that when he says he's going to beat Chris Jericho's ass in that steel cage match, they censored it. Yeah. I have a bone to pick with that later. Yeah. Uh, we get a... Uh, did you guys note the uh, ice cream commercial with Trish Stratus for SummerSlam? Okay, my notes literally say Trish Stratus's boobs star in an ice cream SummerSlam advert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's uh, everyone's outside and an ice cream truck pulls up and Trish uh, showing off a lot of cleavage and she says, do you boys want one scoop or two? Everyone screams two and that somehow hypes up SummerSlam. You know, it is kind of funny when you think about how weird the adverts were back then. Like, sometimes they literally wouldn't have anything to do with the show. Yeah, like, we'll get, um, I mean, it kind of had to do with the show, but like, WrestleMania 21, they did all the Hollywood spoofs. Granted, that was WrestleMania Goes Hollywood. Yeah, Um, We get the, like, weird West Side Story for the Rumble in, like, 2004, 2005. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. um, uh, Commercial's a commercial, I guess. I don't even know if Trish is on the show. Uh, I guess we'll get there when we get there. Next match, Rikishi versus Albert. And yes. Rikishi comes out with a back that ass up shirt. Love that. Love so, that. So, speaking of the shirt, um, 
Do you guys know, like, did they make him put a shirt on because he gained weight or was that his choice? That's a good question. I, I heard Bruce Pritchard say on his podcast that um, part of the reason Kishi got let go was gaining weight, but that's 2004. Yeah. Um, I mean, does it really matter? I mean, Kishi was always a huge guy. Yeah, see, the thing like, is... He was always fat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he didn't go from ripped too fat to cover that up i don't i don't really get it like i mean he looks like he's a little bit bigger than he was during the attitude era here but even then he's not he's not I that much say, bigger you get to 2004 when him and scotty reunite he's mm-hmm. i mean he's probably twice the size he was in the attitude era oh yeah. He, yeah he got really big at that time so uh we see him in that back that ass up shirt we cut backstage real quick angle is uh he's on the phone and you hear him say, like, I'll call you back, Eric. And this reporter who, Dean, do you remember this guy? I very vaguely remember this dude. Honestly, when I first saw him, I was like, who the hell is this? Right? Like, I don't, I don't really remember him. Um, and he, uh, he's trying to talk to Kurt. Uh, Kurt tells him to buzz off. Uh, and this guy... Um, says, I mean, listen, I heard him say Eric on the phone. So, and there's also reports that Eric Bischoff was in um, in the Indianapolis airport. So he may show up here tonight on SmackDown. What's going to happen, right? Yeah. So uh, Albert comes out, and it's something interesting. It doesn't really matter. Uh, just a little interesting note. Um, he's still going under the name Albert at this point, but he's like in his A train look. See, with like that's... all the piercings and just black tights. Well, you see, that's something that I took notice of because I legit, when he when I saw him, thought they were going to announce him as A Train. I yes, I also thought that when they said Albert, I was like, wait, what? Right, because when I think Albert, I think when he was wearing those like long leather pants and the black shirt mm-hmm. and the sunglasses, like when he was with like X Pac and like yeah, when he was in all oh, the fucking great. No, that's the number one theme of all times. That X Factor theme. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's like TNA Albert uh, when mm-hmm. him Tess and Trish were a thing. So, and I, I, I'm sorry, this is a random aside, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, you're good. I really, I really do wish when he started doing commentary that they didn't stop calling him Lord Tensai. I really wish that like we just had or, a commentary. Uh, sweet tea. Yeah, like I just really wish that like when he like like I think it was like NXT it or was, was NXT. it on SmackDown? Yeah, when it was NXT. NXT. I was legit like, no, don't call him Jason Albert. Just keep calling him as a commentator. Just keep calling him Lord Tensai. Dude, I think he's had the most name changes out of anyone in WWE. Yeah, and it's interesting because even when he first came back, like they they were chanting A Train at him. Yeah, because like you can't you can't bring in a guy with that unique of a look and try to just repackage him as yeah, a like, Japanese monster. Bray, like it Bray at least grew a beard and then grew his hair out and got way more tats. Yeah, yeah, he was able to shake the Husky Harris thing pretty fast. Right. Um. So. Uh, Albert comes in, huge bicycle kick, looks sweet as hell. Um, they're trading some shots in the corner. Albert is a very loud wrestler. Mm-hmm. You notice all the noises he was making? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, very hairy, which kind of becomes his gimmick uh, going into 2003. His whole gimmick is I have a hairy back. Um, yeah. We get two hoe trains in the corner, a clothesline. And I thought this was sick as hell. Albert did a Vader bomb. Yeah. The splash out that Yeah, corner. he did. He did. Yeah, I was like, shit. I don't remember Albert being like good. <laughs> like, it blew my mind. 
Yeah, um, I will say like it was a pretty. This match was a pretty basic brawl, but there were certain yeah. things Albert did that I thought I was like, oh, that was really good boot, or like you said, the Vader bomb. There are certain things he did where I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah, um, he goes for another hoe train, uh, and he misses. Gets hit with a DDT. Rikishi hits a Samoan drop, smacks those big old butt cheeks, uh, and then he puts a little ass on it. You know what I'm saying? He puts a little, he puts a little ass on it with a stink face in the corner. Um. It reminds me, have you ever heard uh, the story about what Kishi does with the stink face? I heard that he had like a special pair where if he didn't like you, you got the pair that he didn't wash, basically. He said he had three pairs. Oh, okay. He, okay. He had his nice pair that he, you know, washed as often as you can wash specially made wrestling gear when you're on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always heard, you know, you like wash it in the sink and let it dry overnight type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then he had like a decent like an okay pair. Mm-hmm. And then he had that bad pair that never got washed. If he didn't like you, that's the pair you were getting. That yeah. Night. Yep. Yeah. Um, disgusting. Absolutely yeah. Disgusting. I, I'm not going to lie. I actually wrote down in my notes here. Like I said, okay, I feel the need to talk about Rikishi, Rikishi's gimmick now. Only because I'm just like, in retrospect, it's very strange to me that as a kid, I didn't question this at all. Like, <laughs> like, like it was like, what? It's just what he does. And I look back on it and I'm like, I, as a child, was watching a 300-plus-pound man, like, hike his trunks up and shove his ass in people's faces. Dude. Like, this was this was my childhood. That man pulled those tights in. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so he, uh, he does a stink face, does a super kick, and then he does the bonsai. Fucking Yoko's in his bonsai drop. Mm-hmm. Like, he does it much nicer than Yoko ever did it to a jobber. Oh my God. Have you seen the oh, clips of Yoko? Yeah, that... jobbers? There's one where he lands right on the dude's head. And he doesn't like he doesn't land on his feet to pad it, dude. Like ass to head. It, and it, Yoko was, you know, five hundred pounds, six hundred pounds. Yeah, like Yoko was legit like if you want to talk about a wrestler who's like perhaps who's probably is like legit too big. Like Yoko eventually oh, got he so big. Like, he couldn't even wrestle anymore. Yeah. I, I saw uh pictures of him before he was Yoko Zuna. Uh, when he was uh, like in the territories, uh, I guess the early days of the Indies territories really weren't a thing anymore at that point. He was like, um, he hell, he was smaller than Umaga was when Umaga was Umaga. Mm-hmm. He looked amazing. He looked so good. And I, I don't know what happened. Uh, he definitely lost control. Yeah. Uh, so Bonsai dropped for the win for Rikishi. And then he, dude, they made such a big song and dance out of this. He walks up and there's a hat on the stage. And I know it's a little too early for this, but I saw this like bowler hat that's, that's just sitting on the stage. And I immediately thought, you guys remember uh, Johnny Stromboli? Kind of. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I thought that was his hat. And I was like, what the fuck? FBI's coming out? <laughs> but I know it's too early for FBI. FBI doesn't come into like late 2002, probably more so early 2003. Mm. But he picks the hat up. In the crowd, I think this was like a legit pop because Kishi mm. was over back in the oh, day, he especially was. in the really when he had uh, Grandmaster Sex and Scotty. He uh, he puts the hat on, and he starts dancing, and then they have these like the like gold the Goldberg pyro, the sparklers like, and they made a whole production out of this dance, dude. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell? That was like the most mind blowing thing to me for this episode. I did not. Like, he does the dance. I'm like, okay, yeah, Kishi's doing the dance. And then the pyro hit, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's – and I remember uh, 
when he did the interview, he always talks about how he was just so over as a baby face that when he had to turn heel during the Attitude Era, he just really did not want to do it. He, felt, he said he felt like it really like halted his momentum. Yeah, it also... Okay, here's my main problem with it. Um, he didn't switch his gear. He was supposed to be this, you know, I'm a bad, bad man was his theme yeah. song. Yeah. But he's still coming out wearing a fucking big thong. Yeah, and like his Titantron was still emphasizing like his baby face aspects. Like aspects. Yes. I saw what you dog. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, so it's like you look at that and you're like, um, like it didn't really even feel like they committed to turning him a heel entirely, honestly. I don't, dude, it was weird. Um, I think that I really think the only reason I did that was because everyone was saying, oh, Triple H did it. But they, they didn't want to admit that the people found out it was Triple H because that was mm-hmm. a little too obvious. So they did a swerve of Kishi. Uh, after this, uh, Steph meets up with that guy earlier that Kurt told to buzz off. She says his name is Mark. Cool. I don't I don't know who okay. this guy is. <laughs> um, they talk about the weird interaction that he had with Kurt Angle. He said that he's on the phone with a guy named Eric. Um, Steph leaves Kurt a voicemail. And I remember during this, Stephanie and Kurt in storyline used to date. Oh, right. And that's where that we've, we've talked about the story personally, the story where triple H said, who's going to believe that Stephanie would leave me for Kurt. And then Pat Patterson said, you step in a ring with them for a shoot and you see how well you do. And triple H quit talking because he mm-hmm. knew Kurt Angle. If it came to push and shove, Kurt Angle would whip his ass. No problem. Oh yeah. Like I, I mean, that's kind of the thing about Triple H is that, yes, I do believe that he could probably beat most people's asses realistically. But at the same time, I'm also like, he's still not like a legit like fighter or I, saying, I don't think he has, you know, that background. Obviously, he's a huge guy. Yeah, there are, um, there are just so many other people in the company who are just way more legit than Triple H ever was. Yes. Um, so after that, we get a vignette for uh, the debuting Rey Mysterio. And I wrote this down and I later realized that it might've just been like an effect in the background that um, I saw wrong at first, but there's clips, maybe not because there's clips of Rey Mysterio in his like baggy, you know, the baggy pants Mm -hmm. attire, not the tights that he wore in WCW. Yeah. Um, And I swear to God, it was the SmackDown set, but with the green. So it was like velocity. Was he wrestling dark matches at this point on velocity? Like, like, that's a definite possibility. I don't know. I've never, I've never heard of that. Cause you know, cause I never really thought about that, but that is a good point because like, it's like they already had all of this footage of him in his modern gear. Right. Like, I don't know if it was shot in a warehouse and then like added an effect that made me like, maybe I saw it wrong and I thought it was a velocity set. I don't know, but I, th- I just thought that was interesting. Uh, cause there's no way he was wrestling on velocity and then debuted on SmackDown. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. had it been a dark match and that was just the setup they had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Coming up next, WWE World Tag Team title match as the undisputed champion, The Rock, teams up with Hollywood Hulk Hogan against the Un-Americans, Lance Storm, and Christian. Uh, small little note, Storm and Christian are accompanied by Test. Big old Test. Mm-hmm. Um, and Very disappointing. Oh, well, actually, no, wait. I'm sorry. I'll hold that back. I, I'll save that for when Test actually has a match. Oh, God. Okay. Um, so one thing I noted... Why the hell is Hogan still going under the name Hollywood? He is not Hollywood Hogan anymore. You know, I 
it's one of those things that I just didn't really question only because I'm just like, I guess in my head, I was like, I was kind of already prepared for him to be that way, even though there's nothing about him anymore that actually pertains to that gimmick. Right. Cause Hollywood is, is heel the black and white NWO. Yeah. And he quit doing that. Um, after his match with rocket mania, which was just be a couple of months removed from this. Yeah. Yeah, I was really thrown off when he was Hollywood, but like kind of like Dean, I didn't question it, but. Well, I'm going to question it. Um, this is my only guess, and it, maybe it's because of the Rock connection. They wanted to maintain the Hollywood thing, but even that seems like a very vague and weird reason I, to do it. Yeah. Um, very weird Hogan theme that I don't think I've ever heard. It's like a weird mix between like this random guitar plus like the beginning of the NWO theme. It wasn't Voodoo Child, was it? No, that was not Voodoo I'm not Child. Because I was like, I was listening to it and I was like, I couldn't, because the crowd was so loud, I was having trouble making out the music. And I was like, this doesn't sound familiar. Right. And that's, that's another crowd reaction I think was real. They all looked legit pumped for Hogan. Oh, yeah. Hogan oh, was yeah. over his hell at this time. That's why he held the title for a short minute mm-hmm. uh, at, uh, at this point. Um, and I was trying to think, like, why the hell is Hogan getting a title shot? And I remembered... Just a few weeks before this, him and Edge were the tag team champions on SmackDown. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, why Rock get, gets a shot, I don't know. But Edge is preoccupied with Jericho. Maybe he just got to pick his own uh, partner. Um, so Michael Cole says during the entrances, for, uh, during Rock's entrance, that Kurt Angle versus The Rock versus The Undertaker at Vengeance was the best triple threat in WWE history. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, even back then, I highly doubt it really was. Even back then. Uh, so we get some Rocky chants. Uh, Hogan and Lance Storm are starting off huge, huge USA chants. Um, Hogan does his pose. Uh, we get an eye rake from Storm. Uh, uh, we get a clothesline from Storm. Uh, Hogan gets up, and he's doing his punches into the Axie Boomba. He does his clothesline, the Axe Bomber, which was his finish in Japan. Yep. Uh, believe it or not, Hogan did wrestle in Japan, and he actually tried there, did some chain wrestling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rock tags in, hits a clothesline, so a suplex, another clothesline. He does that awesome belly-to-belly I mentioned earlier. Um, Storm does a cheap shot to the Rock, um, which he no-sells and then hits Storm. Uh, uh, Christian hits this awesome spinning heel kick. I need more spinning heel kicks in my life. Mm-hmm. always been good um that's a move that just doesn't happen anymore like you're saying and it's so oh, damn good a, yeah such a good move um oh we got a spinning heel kick there storm tags back in more usa chance and this bothered me the whole match i made note of it twice hogan will not stay in his goddamn corner no he keeps getting half and half out he keeps arguing with the ref if he shut the hell up Rock would not get beat down later in this match by test. And you know, this is going to sound weird and I could totally be wrong. Part mm-hmm. of me almost wonders if that wasn't even just like for the sake of the story of the match, but also just like well, Hogan yeah. wanting attention on himself. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. But I mean, you look at um, when Warrior beats Hogan to Mania 6, Hogan gets in the ring and hands the title to him and poses with him. You look at when Macho single-handedly by himself beats DiBiase at Mania 4. Hogan gets in the ring and celebrates with Macho. Mm-hmm. 
does the the attention's got to be on Hogue. Um, Rock is opposite hard cam. Weirdly enough, is back to the hard cam for a spine buster and a people's elbow. But when he goes for the people's elbow, Tess pulls down the rope. Rock flips over and he, he smashes into that announce table back first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he ate shit on that. Yeah, he kind of ate shit on that. Christian tags in. He's choking the Rock. Uh, this one I know Christian looks pretty much the exact same. He's a little oh, yeah. more tan now and he cut his hair. That's yeah. about it. He's aged very well in the past 18 years. Um, uh, Rock comes back with a neck, uh, swinging neck breaker. Uh, Tess interferes again. And I wrote uh, verbatim, if Hogan shut the fuck up, Rock wouldn't get his ass kicked. Uh, Storm with a tag in. Uh, Rock goes for Rock bottom. Storm hits him with the elbows. Hits his beautiful super kick. Test uh, pulls Hogan off the apron. Uh, And, you know, Rock shows that if Hogan wasn't pulled off, he would have gotten the tag. But alas, uh, couldn't happen. Yeah, Uh, there is kind of a point when it just seems like Hulk Hogan's just being stupid. Not even just like in a yes. baby face distracted way, but in a like, no, Hulk, you're just being dumb now. Hulk is a dumb, dumb man. Yeah. Um, big DDT by The Rock, and then the huge, huge pop for Hogan getting the hot tag. Um, <laughs> I noticed Hogan is so tan. He is. That he is darker than The Rock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like he's super tan at this point in his career. Like gross. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of weird looking. Yeah. Um, we get the typical Hulk up spot, you know, the punches, and he does the double noggin knocker to the Un-Americans. Did he even ever uh, do the big boot? Oh uh, well, here's the thing: he goes for the big boot, uh, but the Un-Americans, uh, Christian, like uh, sidesteps and they uh, hit him with a double back suplex. Okay. Uh, Very safe rocket. double back suplex, by the way. Oh, I mean, you heard Hogan. Your, yeah. your career's over. Yeah. Well, we get a rock bottom to land Storm. Uh, Test gets hit with that spit punch by the rock. Um, he gets hit so hard that he goes out of the ring and then, like, up onto the announce table. He really sold that thing. Uh, Christian hits. Okay. This pisses me off. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but that's pretty much what this whole podcast has been. Go right ahead, man. Christian hits Hogan with the reverse DDT. And Michael Cole calls it the unprettier. No. Yeah. No. The unprettier is the double underhook face buster. Not, let me, not double underhook face buster as in pedigree. When Christian does that move where he grabs both your arms, spins around, and drops you. If you call it a kill switch, you call it a kill switch, engage, you can go fuck yourself. That is the unprettier. And I will hear nothing else about it. <laughs> okay, okay. That is an unprettier. Anyway, uh, Hulk, uh, he kicks out at like a one uh, and he does his big Hulk up spot, the, like the real traditional Hulk up spot with the, you know, the pointing, mm-hmm. uh, and the punches, boot, leg drop, and Hogan and Rock win by DQ when yeah. Brock Lesnar gets involved again in F5's Hogan. Uh, I'm not going to let F5 Brock and, scary. Every F five is scary, bro. But it's like, but Hulk Hogan, though, by God, like He's that an was old scary. man. Yeah. Um. Uh. So Rock and Hogan win, but they are not tag team champions as they won by DQ. Um. And this just builds further. Uh. Brock is fucking with the Rock to get into his head. Mm-hmm. Uh. For their match at SummerSlam. Um. We see. Uh. We uh, see Brock and Heyman. Okay. 
this is where I have a bit of a conspiracy theory. I'm about to go Alex Jones, right? Okay. So Brock and Heyman are trying to leave the arena. Uh, and the limo driver, he says, you can't take this limo. And Heyman's like, no, 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 Stephanie said we can take her limo. They said, well, this isn't Stephanie's limo. This is Hogan's limo. And they take it anyway. Yeah. Brock, like, Brock says to the limo driver, I'm going to kick your ass if you don't let me take this limo. And they didn't censor ass. They did Okay. It. Now they censored it when Edge says ass, right? And here's the thing. Why is Brock allowed to leave the arena, but Edge isn't allowed to leave the arena? UPN and WWE just hate Edge. Huh. I never they thought think about he's that. Smarmy. That's I mean, weird. think about it. Did Edge ever win a world title? Uh, no. So they obviously hate him. Good point. Good point. Good point. Can't even argue that one, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so, oh, God. We cut back to the awesome SmackDown interview set that has that, like, big curved silver thing with the TV in it. Love that. Um, Cena says that Test is going to be a tough opponent. And then I wrote verbatim here. Cena says Test has stinky teeth in a shit promo. I I just wrote down John Cena promo corny as fuck. It was so bad. Yeah. It was really bad. Um, Test shows up. And I noticed here, um, Dean, you said something about you were surprised how tall someone was. I think I think you were talking about Nowinski. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't realize how tall Cena was. Because mm. he was only like an inch or two smaller than Test. And Test is known as being a big guy. Now, this is just me guessing. Do you think it's possible perhaps it might be just a matter of them exaggerating Test's height? That's possible. They exaggerate everyone's height. I really could have sworn that John Cena was only like 6'1", 6'2". Maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I know they try to claim Adam Cole is six foot, and I swear to God he's 5'6". There's no Same way. There's no way Adam Cole is six feet tall. There's I, No, there's literally no way. Um, Test says, Cena, you know what? You're a funny guy. And they smacks the shit out of him. And he says, I just think, you, you know, you think you're ruthless aggression. I think you're slow punk. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, after that, we see Stephanie and Jericho backstage. They also used to date. They literally were dating like two months ago in storyline at this point. Oh, uh, yeah, In yeah. the feud with Triple H in the Unspeed title. Um, I don't know what happened there, you know. Uh, yeah. And I just noted. This is my favorite Chris Jericho look of all time. The beard and the the uh, ponytail. He's, he's got the goatee, which granted it's not as long as it gets later in the year, but the goatee's getting long. He has uh, the dyed red ponytail, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got the awesome black, silver, and red tights. I was like, oh, this man. Also, nice little fun thing. He's wearing a Fozzie shirt. His band. Yes. Uh, he's wearing a Fozzie shirt, listening to a Walkman. He was hyping up his Fozzie CD that was about to come out. Yeah, Stephanie Stephanie asks him, you know, are you jumping to Raw? And, you know, are you happy? And Jericho says, of course I'm happy. Uh, my new album, Fozzie, drops Tuesday. Um, and, uh, and he's happy about the album dropping and the fact that he will get to uh, make Edge bleed tonight in the Steel Cage match. And he gives Stephanie a copy of the Fozzie album. What a nice guy. The only thing I want to know is whatever happened to Mongoose McQueen. Yeah, they kind of dropped that. Yeah. Uh, my my conspiracy theory is Chris Jericho brutally murdered him. That's just me. Jericho just just beat the brakes off of him. Yeah. Uh, uh, next up, Chavo Guerrero takes on a debuting 
Rey Mysterio. Now, where has Rey Mysterio been? Why didn't he come in during the invasion? Um, I'm going to be honest. I was going to uh, do more research on this. And I, I didn't. Um, but that's okay. I do know the gist of it. Uh, he had a bit of the WCW contract left. They decided to let right out because it was, you know, you're going to make more money sitting at home than you were working for WWE. You may know he, uh, he lost his mask in WCW. Yeah. He actually went to a Lucha council and asked permission to wear the mask again out of respect for the tradition. And they did allow him. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think is honestly great because I feel like Ray would have been dead in the water if he came to WWE without his mask. Yes. I, I think the mask was probably one of the biggest reasons. Obviously he's very talented. Um, and um, even at this point is a legend. Uh, in, mm-hmm. I mean, of course now in 2020, he's known as one of the uh, most well-known and best Lucha wrestlers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you got to think Vince saw that mask. And he said, I'm going to sell so many fucking masks, yeah. make so much money off of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chavo comes out, you know, whatever, uh, before, Los Guerreros, uh, where Chavo starts showing a bit more personality. And he's using, he's using the LWO theme. Yeah, I noticed that. I didn't know it was the LWO theme, but I knew it was uh, the theme he used in WCW, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't have his... Later to be used by Chavo Classic, but we'll get there. Oh, we'll get to Chavo Classic. Uh, yeah, this is before Chavo's amazing, ooh, Chavo theme. Yep, yep. Um, we get Ray's awesome jumping entrance. Uh, through the stage. Best Ray entrance. Oh, easy. Oh, I understand yeah. why he doesn't do it now. His knees are destroyed after years of wrestling. He's gotten stem cell therapy done on them. Uh, so I understand. But awesome entrance. Uh, we start now. Oh my god, I had so much. I don't know about you guys. I had so much trouble writing notes for this match. Yeah, They're going a million miles per hour and doing shit I didn't know what to call. That's the thing, man. Like, Chavo and Ray always have like really solid matches. Yes. Like Chavo always was kind of boring to me. Like he was a good wrestler, but like he didn't have the personality his uncle Eddie had, you know, not mm-hmm. anywhere close. Yeah. But whenever he stepped in the ring with Ray, they always had awesome matches. Oh, definitely. Every single time. Um, we get we start off with some chain wrestling. Uh they do these monkey flip transitions. Um, we get a sunset flip by Ray for a two count. Uh, he does a spinning Frankensteiner, which they they mess up, but not enough. I mean, it Chavo still Chavo still sells it in a way where it works. You know, it worked. It was a little sloppy, but it worked uh, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, we get another sunset flip pin attempt by Ray for a two count. Uh, we get a baseball slide. He try, uh, Ray tries to baseball slide in between Chavo's legs. Chavo catches him for a big German suplex. Uh, he does that cool spot where you get someone in a vertical suplex and then drop them gut first on the rope. I wish more people did that. I know Randy Orton does it. Yeah. Uh, love that move. Uh, we get some shoulder checks in the corner. Nice abdominal stretch, um, which gets reversed uh, in this neat way. He has him in the abdominal stretch. And like he kind of tries to pick him up like pump handle style, which Ray transitions into a crossbody for uh, like a two count. Yeah, yeah. That was actually a really good spot. Um. We get a crossbody off the second rope attempt by um, Ray, which gets uh, countered into a ch- uh, dropkick by Chavo. Uh, Chavo slides Ray out of the ring, the spot that I swear to God Ray Mysterio does every match. Oh, you know the yeah. one I'm talking about where he slides him under the rope and he smacks tummy first? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we get a nice gut buster by Chavo. Another move I wish more people did. Love a good gut buster. Uh, he uh, throws Ray into the rope and he pops him up. And out of that pop up, Ray does a drop kick. Um, and then he does this beautiful corkscrew pescado uh, to the outside on Chavo. Absolutely beautiful. That was the corkscrew dive. That's the name for it. Yeah. So okay. So um, a yes. So a pescado is uh, the type of dive where you hold onto the top rope. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. It's also yeah. called the house show dive because it's very safe and you, you don't want to hurt yourself on a house show doing something too crazy. Yeah. Um, we get a. I don't know what the hell I had trouble naming this. So Chavo goes for a suplex when they get back in the ring, which gets reversed by Ray. Ray's behind him. He pulls Chavo's arms through his own legs, which like flips him. Yeah. And then jumps over that and like bridges him. Looks so cool. It does. Love that. that was like straight up a Jackie Chan move. Yeah, it was so sick. Um, Chavo does the gory bomb, which is once well, these two are great. Another great move is the gory bomb. So I actually want to talk about the gory bomb because here, I honestly think this was too early for Ray to be kicking out of a gory bomb. I don't think the gory, was the gory bomb his finish? Yeah. I thought it was his finish at the time because I don't think he, I thought he didn't start using the frog splash until later. I couldn't tell you what the hell Chavo did until Los Guerreros. Like, and I admit I'm partially basing this off the video games because I know in the video games his finisher was the gory bomb. But I, I might have to look that up because I really thought at this time he wasn't doing the frog splash yet. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'd like to add that was a sick transition of that led up to the gory bomb because Ray went for like what a code red or something like that. Oh yeah, he did, yeah he went for the code red and uh, oh yeah yeah Chavo hooked his arms and got him ready for the gory bomb. Um, Ray does a drop toe hold or uh, like a drop kick or a drop toe hold to Chavo uh, into like the corner, but he's still on that second rope. And then he hits what Taz incorrectly calls the 619. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, they hadn't worked that out completely yet. The 619 uh, and a West Coast pop for the win. A good debut for Rey Mysterio. He got, basically showed off all his good moves. Uh, he hit the Dragon Rana for that West Coast pop. That, no, 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 he didn't. The Dragon Rana uh, is like you flip off the rope and then a Hurricane Rana. He didn't flip. Uh, so it was well, a springboard Hurricane Rana. Close I mean, enough. Yeah, whatever. It was still awesome. Yeah, still, still sick as hell. Doesn't really matter. Um, after this, a fun <laughs> test. Test was funny on this show to me. Um, so after this match, uh, Ray's going backstage. You know, he's telling one off, uh, cooling down after hard fought match against Chavo Guerrero. Uh, they bump into each other, and Test is so pissed off that he got bumped into that he just launches Ray into the garage door. And then he says, go back to kindergarten, kid. You know, I was a little bit worried when this happened. Why is that? And here, and here, once again, this is another case of my mind being tainted by the modern product. Yeah. In the sense that if that happened on Raw today, there's a good chance Ray wouldn't have, would have never retaliated. And it would never be brought up ever again. Um, it'd probably get brought up again in a you know, in a match on Raw that means nothing. Well, see, the thing is, like, it'd just I'm be just, anticlimactic. I'm just so used to them like doing this thing where somebody will get their ass kicked and the person will never even respond to it, and it just like I'm I'm unfortunately too used to like thinking so low of the company that I was almost like 
man. Like, I hope Ray doesn't just like end up getting his ass kicked and then nothing comes of this. That's fair. Very quick side note. Um, talking about, you know, thinking low of WB, which is, I think, 80% of the time, fair. Um, did you see Dean? Mm-hmm. What the hell they did at Backlash? Um, with uh, uh, the little cinematic match they did? Not, uh, not Edge Orton. Um, wait, which one was it? I'm sorry. It was of the Viking Raiders taking on Street Profits. Did you see what oh, happened? Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't see that. Dean, go watch that, like, tomorrow. Holy shit. Okay. They haven't done, like, anything at all with Akira Tozawa. Uh-huh. He won the Cruiserweight title for six days in between Neville's reigns. Yeah. And then, you know, he shows up on NXT. Uh, and does He does well on NXT. And then, he you know, he jobs on Raw. He... Has he's the leader of a ninja clan now? Okay. He has a bunch of ninjas, and one of them is this big seven foot three black guy <laughs> that has a sword. Okay. It was so fucking sick. It's you know the what? funniest shit I've ever it seen. It sounds in my life. like that's either the most amazing thing ever or one of the worst things possible. It was hilarious. Okay. I thought it was hilarious. I need to watch this. And I definitely it's not. It's, watch yeah, this. it's definitely not meant to be taken serious, but I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, so after test, uh, attempts murder on Rey Mysterio, he has a match against John Cena, who, uh, you know, a little bit of trash talk earlier. Um, he's throwing the boots to Cena. He throws Cena out of the ring. Uh, Cena hits a good drop kick. Oh yeah. Yeah. You see him throw a drop kick now. He maybe gets him in the gut, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's straight out <laughs> developmental. That's all they did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and it's interesting watching John Cena at this time because at this point in his career, he wrestles way more like a wrestler. Yes, very traditional WWE straight out of OVW in 2002 wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Like, come contrast to now to where he kind of honestly, and I, I hate to use this as a buzzword, but he just wrestles more like a superhero these days. Like, his moveset is very much more limited. He has, like, his thing he does, you know? Yes, um... We get a nice bulldog from Cena. Uh, Test hits a clothesline in the corner. Uh, he does a body slam and then misses just, you know, a running elbow on the ground. Cena with a DDT, flying forearm. He does a nice stinger splash uh, mm-hmm. into the corner. Uh, Test goes for his pump handle, uh, and he got reversed into the spinning back suplex, uh, which was his finisher, and here comes the pain, the proto-bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the finish he used in OVW when he was known as the prototype John Cena. Yep, yep. Uh, which I didn't know this until kind of recent. Apparently, the prototype was supposed to be like a robot. Uh, I mean, that makes sense, but I didn't know that. I, I recall I watched like this little documentary before John Cena. The UPW thing? Yeah, I think so. Or like they were like practicing promos and you could tell like John Cena was almost like doing this very like, it wasn't like flat out robotic, but he was kind of more deliberate in how he delivered his lines and it wasn't mm-hmm. it was kind of almost emotion not not completely emotionless but it was like super serious and super straight and like very directed to the point i think they were really trying to sell the whole cyborg thing back then yeah um so uh kick out two there test hits a pump handle for a very very close two count um to the point where i don't think commentary was selling it they they seemed like they thought that was a three mm-hmm. um uh Cena gets a roll-up for a two. 
Uh, Tess goes for a powerbomb and Cena, you know, does the roll through uh, and gets the three count. Um, and literally five seconds after that, Tess just fucking big boots him, and that's the end of that. Yeah. A lot this of people... Back in like, this was like back in the days when John Cena didn't really use a finisher. He just rolled people up all the time. I was say he just debuted a couple weeks before this. Yeah. Wasn't um, that the second weeks prior, even? He just kind of got lucky and got some wins? He, um, I think he only got one win. He beat um, Jericho of Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think so. Well, then going forward, even... That might be the Probably. thing for a bit. Well, we'll find out, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I realized almost everyone gets their fucking heat back <laughs> between these two shows. Oh, yeah. You lose, and then you beat them up. Uh, Got to do that 50-50 booking, brother. Uh, another segment with uh, Keebler and Steph. Uh, Keebler's on the phone uh, uh, in Steph's office, um, and they just keep getting Kurt's voicemail. Um, and Stephanie says, listen, no matter what your decision is, whether you want to be on SmackDown or you want to go to Raw, I want you to say it to my face. Alex Riley strats. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Remember that theme, Dean? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. That theme yep. was so fire. It was. And they gave it to such a whatever. Um, yeah. So our main event, main event time. Edge takes on Chris Jericho in a steel cage main event uh and the first thing i know is um edge's theme you think you know me hits oh yeah it's the rob zombie we'll get there okay okay but uh the you think you know me hits and i just think of my man jpeg mafia yes dean you ever listen to jpeg mafia yeah i've actually never had him listen i think you'd like him makes a lot of wrestling references um but that you think you know me hits, and I think I think a JPEG Mafia uses he samples that all the time. And then the fucking shitty Rob Zombie theme hits. I don't like this theme. Uh, it's, e- it's easily his worst uh, theme, but I still don't hate it. But I also like Rob Zombie, so. Oof. See, I like Rob Zombie, but like I listen to the lyrics of that song, and I'm like, what is this song? Yeah, even I don't actually get about? it. Hey, my Durango number ninety five. What I don't get. What is that? Is it a car thing? Yeah, probably. There's a part where he talks about the devil riding a dinosaur and said, we're going to paint something red so the blood doesn't stain the floor. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? (laughs) Doesn't fit Edge in the slightest. Um, Speaking of Jericho, my favorite look of his, best Jericho Tron with the ball going through the tunnel. I always loved that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fun fact. Yeah, I like that too. I I knew, I like knew this, but I never put two and two together. His, um... Two most well-known theme songs. They both mention Judas. Oh, yeah, that's right. Something about, uh, even though you're Judas and I'm your priest, and then obviously the name of his Fozzie song in AEW, Judas. Um, great song. Not really a Fozzie fan, but that's a good song. Fozzie's got a couple songs yeah, that I like, you. but yeah, not really a Fozzie uh, fan either. Yeah. Uh, so it cuts to commercial, and they come back, Match has already started. The match starts. Uh, Edge baseball slides the cage door into uh, Jericho. Jericho's trying to bring a chair into the ring. Uh, we get a nice flapjack by Edge. I always liked Edge's moveset. Um, just very mm-hmm. different from everyone else. Uh, we get some punches to Jericho. Jericho, he immediately, he's trying to leave. He's the, he's the chicken shit heel. He tries to leave the door. Uh, Edge whips Jericho into the corner. 
and Jericho just runs up the turnbuckle and starts climbing the cage. Love it. Uh, when he when he tries to escape, Edge hits him, and Jericho takes this big bump uh, off the top rope, back down to the mat. Uh, Jericho acts. Are you talking about the electric no, chair? No, we'll get to that. That was insane. Oh, okay. This is just episode taped SmackDown. Um, mm-hmm. Jericho somehow accidentally ties himself up in the ropes. Edge hits one spear on him when he's tied up in the ropes. And then he misses the other. Jericho is able to dodge it. Uh, and Edge collides into the cage. Uh, Jericho throws Edge into the cage again and again. Um, Edge starts bleeding. Uh, from the forehead so Jericho gets his wish he's made Edge bleed um, Edge's face gets grated into the cage uh, we get a choke on the rope by Jericho and that, that's another thing I noticed um, that doesn't really get done anymore is heels choking the face you know that is true I wonder if that's like a weird like rule or something one now. time that apparently it's a rule that they're not supposed to do like the typical heel stuff like you know grabbing the rope for leverage i don't know why the fuck it's such a simple easy way to get heat that's such a that's such a trope yeah. of wrestling it's a weird thing to ban is it really banned who who knows but if it is it makes no sense uh jericho jericho coming after my fucking heart in this episode i swear because he does that foot shimmy dance oh yeah yeah that he does and then he does the cocky pin with the fucking flex I was like, oh my God, Jericho. There's a reason Chris Jericho is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He's probably top five, at least top 10. And honestly, he's really a master of like keeping himself relevant. Like he's had amazing And he's longevity. gotten over like all kinds of shit, like a list or the word it. He got over a goddamn clipboard. Like he got over a potted plant. He did. He's so talented. He knows what he's doing. Uh, so uh, he's just beating down Edge for a while here. He chops him in the corner. He's trash talking him, and the one uh, he calls him he calls him baby boy at one point, which I which I thought was funny. But he uh, he says, "I'm the king of I'm the king of the world, don't you know?" And that just reminds me. I swear to God, I'm gonna be so pumped when we get there. There's a short period of time, October to November of 2002, where Chris Jericho uses "King of My World" by Saliva as his theme. Oh my god. Amazing. I remember it vividly because um Survivor Series 2002 when Jericho enters the chamber, Saliva is in WWF or well WWE World at this point, formerly WWF New York, and they did a live performance of the song for Jericho's entrance. Uh just lo- absolutely love that theme. I think he should have used it longer cuz he did not have it for very long. Uh Edge Gets a big chop in, uh, but Jericho snuffs him out again with a sleeper slam for two count, um, which just made me think, I hate pins and submissions in a cage. You should have to escape. I think most people agree with that. Uh, yeah. I can get that. Yeah, because what's the point of the cage other than to keep you in, you know? Keep you in and keep others out. Right. Um, yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, Edge gets tied up in the rope, similar to how Jericho was tied up earlier, and he's starting to get beat on some more. Uh, Jericho, uh, he misses Edge, and he gets thrown into the cage. Uh, Edge starting to come back. He hits the clothesline. Um, and then I – it just took me too long. But he does that half Nelson Bulldog thing, and I was like, okay, which Edge pun is that? Because he's got four different moves that are Edge puns. 
and I looked yeah. it up and I could not find it because I honestly well, could not tell you. And I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong. The, uh, wait, I actually have it written. That, okay. The edgematic is the like reverse X factor where he pulls your head down backwards. The education yeah. is the Impaler DDT. And the educator is probably my favorite edge move, the inverted sharpshooter. And at first yeah. I couldn't find yeah. it. It just said half Nelson Bulldog. And I was like, oh, whatever. I finally remember what it was, like two hours after I watched the show. The winning edge. Okay. I Jeez, I would have never remembered that. I'm yeah, not going to lie. Uh, love that move. I love the edge puns. Um, so he, uh, he hits that half Nelson Bulldog. Um, and then he goes for a drop kick, which he misses. Um, but Jericho goes for the, uh, the lion's soul, but knees are up. And then Edge hits him with that edge-matic for a two count. Uh, Edge tries to escape the cage, uh, and Jericho stops him. Uh, and then this awesome, disgusting bump they take. Um, Edge does a superplex like into a face buster off the top rope. This match was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely great. Um, uh, that gets a two count. Uh, the educator gets reversed into uh, Jericho was going for the walls and he couldn't get it, so he slingshots Edge uh, face first into the cage. Jericho uh, starts crawling to the door, but Edge is able to grab him by the boot. And this is where that chair from earlier in the match comes into play. Jericho gets that chair and just fucking hits Edge right in the head. Yeah, that was full force. Yeah, these are before the days of uh, concussion protocol and uh, banning chair shots to the head. Listen, I love a chair shot to the head, right? Selfishly. It looks cool. It sounds cool. Looks brutal. Yeah. Obviously, you can't be doing that. Very, very dangerous. Yeah. They're very good. There's a very good reason not yeah, to. Yeah, I think anymore. the very good reason uh, of it causes early premature death uh, is a pretty good yeah. reason. Yeah. Yeah, uh, even though you know it looks it looks cool in wrestling. It doesn't help that like back then they would just wrestle with concussions. Regardless. Yeah, concussions were not taken seriously uh, at this point. Yeah. Uh, he hits he hits him in the head with that chair for two count. Um, and then he hits him again with the chair, and then he misses with the chair and gets hit with a spear for two count. Was the spear not Edge's finisher at this point? What was it? The Impaler. Uh, might have been. I should know this, but I don't. I think. I was say you're big edge mark. I know. He had already he had already moved past the downward oh, spiral. Downward spiral didn't was he? like ninety nine two thousand. Yeah. So yeah, it might have actually been. But the I feel like then. when we play, here comes the pain. His finish is like the downward spiral or whatever. It might be. I think so. Maybe that was just kind of like a holdover because like everybody in that game had two finishers. Shit, we're going to base all of our history off the Ruthless Aggression era. From here comes the pain. Um, <laughs> so Edge starts climbing that cage. Uh, Jericho hits him with a low blow. Um, and Jericho hits a huge bulldog off the top. Uh, Jericho uh, starts climbing the cage himself to get out. Edge grabs him by the hair. And this is that disgusting electric chair drop by Edge. I oh, mean, like, yeah. it sucks for both of them. But Jericho's even higher up in the air. Just brutal yeah. bump. There's that, and like, you're doing it for an audience that is already like wore out. You know, that's so like, eh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. My thing. I mean, this is the main event. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Yeah, but it's also the main event of a taped show. That's could be fair. I, I admit there are certain things I've been seeing on not just this show, but even on Raw where I'm like, I don't know, guys. I feel like you're wasting some of these spots on uh, on a television show. That's more what I was getting at is not only the probably poor reaction, but also like save the big shit for pay-per-views. Right. Like that time Phoenix just killed himself on the Dynamite before uh, uh, did, uh, Double or Nothing. To be fair... He should have been caught. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I felt so bad. Yeah, for that me. was not his fault. Oh, he that bounced. was not his fault. Anyway, um, Ugh, Jericho yeah. starts climbing or uh, starts crawling to the door as a heel would, and Edge climbs out of the cage like a face would for the win. Uh, he celebrates his, his shitty Rob Zombie song hits. Uh, the Un-Americans, all three of them, they jump Edge, and they they throw him back in the cage. All the Un-Americans are in the cage with Edge. Jericho's still in there. This is a f- uh, four-on-one assault. Out comes John Cena, rookie John Cena. He's got beef with Test already. He comes in. He, uh, he starts, you know, getting some shots in. But, uh, of course, that just becomes a four-on-two at that point. And in comes newly debuted Rey Mysterio. He's got a problem with Test as well. He comes in, and he does the giant dive uh, off the top of the cage onto Lance Storm and Christian. And the faces celebrate. Once again, it's just another thing of like, oh yeah, faces actually helping each right. other. Right. It, 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 the show kind of all ties into one. I love it. It once again it helps the flow so much. It does. It, it feels like these are actually people who actually have things going on, like other than just like I'm going to have my one segment in a vacuum and then I will never yeah. be relevant um, again. So this all happens, and uh, kind of cutting back to like seeing weird combinations of people that you don't see nowadays. Um, Stephanie and Billy Kidman are just hanging out, watching the show backstage together. I thought it was very interesting. Is that who that was? Yes, that was Billy Kidman. Oh, I should have, I feel like a loser. The fucking BK bomber, dude. I love Billy Kidman. Oh, yeah. Um, fun fact, uh, there's a reason Kidman would be very excited about this, as him and Rey Mysterio were the second and final WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions together. Those oh, titles yeah, were literally right, introduced right. six days before the final Nitro. Yeah. Damn. Uh, <laughs> I, know if, I don't know if this for sure, but I remember when I watched like this video where like Rey Mysterio was like showing off his home. He has the title. I could have... Sw- I think he still has the... Yeah, he still has yeah. the belt. Uh, very, I mean, pretty cool. Pretty cool... Uh, I guess souvenir to have uh, of your career, a little trophy. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're watching. Keebler runs to Steph and says, "Hey, Bischoff's in a limo in the parking lot." Um, so um, Bischoff uh, is he? He's like through the sunroof of the limo. He's saying to Steph, "Like, oh, I hit you with that right hook, knocked you out. I got you. I signed. You know, I got a new acquisition mm-hmm. to Raw." that I stole from you. Ain't that right? And he's like talking down into the limo to whoever he signed. And uh, they drive off and um, Steph's distraught. She's like, shit, I just lost someone. Probably Kurt Angle. He was talking to Eric on the phone. Mm-hmm. This, uh, My favorite segment of the both these shows. Um, Kurt just wanders in in the background and the crowd pops. And um, yeah, yeah. He just walks up and goofy, like nerdy Kurt Angle just goes, What the heck was that? And 
And Stephanie's like, mm-hmm. Kurt, Kurt, you're here. And he's like, yeah, it's SmackDown. I'm, I'm signed here. And she's like, but I, th- I thought you said you were talking to Eric on the phone. And he's like, yeah, my brother killed me. I did not expect them to drop an Eric Angle reference. And we'll, we'll get to see Eric Angle uh, in the build to Mania 19. He has a match with Brock. Okay. Um, th- just, I thought that was hilarious that they mentioned uh, Eric Angle. Um, so Steph's relieved that she still has Kurt, but we don't know who Eric got. And we go off the air. How did you guys feel about this episode of SmackDown? I thought it was arguably better than Raw. I would I- agree. Okay. But overall, yeah, it was really good. Like, Stephanie hyped up all that shit at the beginning, and it yes. was all really good. Uh, the whole Kurt Angle segments led to a funny payoff and then a great cliffhanger. I I thought that was actually a really good cliffhanger. That's something I've noticed on both these shows is that they end on cliffhangers that actually make you want to see what happens next, which is a really nice touch for a yeah. weekly television show. Um. I would say that, hmm, comparing it to Raw, I feel like, I'll put it this way, I feel like maybe SmackDown overall was a better show, but I think, like, the highest highs of Raw were higher than SmackDown. I just think SmackDown was just consistently better throughout the whole thing. I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I just personally, like, there are some matches that were on Raw that I think to myself, when I was watching both of these shows... The, the, the best parts of Raw stuck out more, but I just think Smack, like I said, SmackDown overall through the whole thing, I think was was a better show. Um, I, I, I thought this episode of SmackDown was super fun. Once again, real fast pace, moving, moving, moving. Um, I thought they did a great job uh, building Ray as, I mean, the guy just debuted and he's already in the main, main event segment. Like they did a great job mm-hmm. building him. They're, they're trying to build Cena up. Uh, they're making the Un-Americans these dastardly heels. Um, I think they're doing a really good job trying to build new stars at this time uh, as Austin at this moment is gone. Rock, I mean, he's on his way out uh, within the next year. Yeah, Hogan's older, you know. Uh, and, and obviously building Brock, too. Um, you know, it wasn't just a gimmick calling him the next big thing. He becomes the next big thing for the next few years. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great show. I would say I enjoyed it more than Raw. I thought there was more, um, I want to say like energy in this. I don't know if that makes any sense. I just, I, I just liked the overall vibe of SmackDown better than this episode of Raw. I think I get what you're saying because like, it like... It felt like young and hungry, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm thinking like it, mm-hmm. like it mm-hmm. picked up momentum and it never like fell flat really. Yes. Yeah, that that's yes. Um so before we uh before we bounce favorite match between both shows and your favorite segment between both shows. Ooh, I'm going to let you guys go first cuz you might I'll not like, like my I'll let Damon go first. Uh I'm going to go with the cage match as my favorite match, although the latter one's a close second. And my favorite segment that's a little difficult, but uh jeez. I'm going to go with uh, Kurt revealing that he was talking to his brother. Dean? The segment one, that's really hard. Um, 
there isn't like a segment that like sticks out to me like super compared to the other ones. And I don't just want to say the Kurt Angle one because that's the one that I feel like I might only answer that because that's the one it's sticking in my head the most because it was the, the ending. Um, but if we're talking about the matches, believe it or not, my favorite match was probably the Rock and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Dean brought up a good point about being in your head the end. So yeah. if not what I chose, then definitely the Kishi dance. The Kishi dance. Oh, yeah, that um, was good. That was good. Favorite match. Um, it's got to be the cage match. Loved the cage match. They just they went balls out, hard hitting. Thought it told a good story. Um, favorite. See, see, it's kind of the same thing, and maybe it's because it's the last thing I saw. I literally laughed out loud at the Kurt Angle revealing that he was talking to his brother Eric. Loved that. I mm-hmm. thought, it, and also the cliffhanger of saying, "Oh shit, who did Bischoff sign?" Um, I also liked um the Bischoff karate pose at the end of Raw. I thought that was really fun. Oh, that he, was good. He went ham on that. Um. Yeah, overall, fun time. Uh, And that's the end of our review of this week's Raw and SmackDown. Next week will be yet another episode of Raw and SmackDown being reviewed uh, going into early August of 2002. Uh, Yes, and I'm looking forward to both shows once again because the cliffhangers actually keep me wanting more. I don't know who uh, Eric actually signed, like for real. I legit. Yeah, I I actually don't remember either. My my only theory is I know Jericho goes to Raw because I know he has a match against Ric Flair at SummerSlam, but he couldn't have gotten to the limo. That, that is quick. true. That's true. So I don't. I legit. I do not mm. know, and I, I don't plan on spoiling it for myself. Looking it up, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait until Raw comes around and I'll right. see what it, what it is. So uh, for Dean and Damon, I am Trent, and that is the Ruthless Recap. See you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night.